Well, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good uh, middle of the night, and all that kind of stuff. It is... Uh, ooh, listen to that. It's me having a lovely start. <laughs> That's nice, isn't it? Be quiet there, will you? It's um, Thursday, isn't it? I've had a frazzle of a week, of course. Thursday, the 22nd of February, uh, 2024. And this is, of course, the weekly show with me, uh, having a wonderful start, actually, with all sorts of things. And uh, here we go. Paul English Live. How about that? Welcome to the show. I always like to start with a little flourish. So we were a little bit delayed today because uh, one of the relays, nothing to do with my show here directly, uh, decided to fall over. But it's all part of life's rich tapestry. Welcome back. As I said, I've had a pretty busy week this week, a few things to talk about, and we have a guest lined up for today, very soon, briefly. He's already in the studio, but I'll be just keeping him on a leash for a few minutes. Uh, We're going to be joined by Roger Sales, who uh, I talk to quite regularly. I've known Roger for quite some time. We're going to carry on a conversation that I've been sort of a part of for many years. Welcome back. I hope you've had a good week between, uh, well, uh, last Thursday and this Thursday. Not that the week starts on a Thursday, although mine often feels as though it ends on one. (laughs) Um, Anyway, good to be back. You're listening to Paul English Live. We're here every Thursday, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. U.S. Eastern, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. UK. And sometimes there's an after show that tends to run on on Rumble. But we're here on WBN324.zil every week and uh, we're also going out on several other stations i'll announce those later on in the show but it's good to be here on wbn 324 as you well know and uh, if you are interested in being part of a chat setup uh, this is a radio show that makes use of a video platform uh, and we're currently using rumble because uh, because we can so we're going to carry on using it and if you want to head over to rumble you'll find the link to that 
on paulenglishlive.com, you can be part of the chat group. And uh, there's already people typing messages and things like that. Isn't that great? And there's a goodly sized audience on there. So uh, welcome. Welcome to the show. As I said, I've got Roger Sales on with me very briefly. He's probably chomping at the bit right now and listening to this game. Why can't I talk? But I just wanted to say a couple of things really about... Uh, well, just about my week. In fact, if you see the image, if you've seen the image for this week's show, you may have. I mean, if you go to Rumble, you will see it. Um, it's a little boy hanging onto the end of a clock. Uh, I think it's sort of a, it's an AI image. That's where we tend to dig these things up. And he's hanging onto the end of a clock. I mean, it seems to be inspired by, or maybe part of a film, I think, made by Martin Scorsese, the title of which currently escapes me right now. But uh, time has been uh, running around in my head quite a lot this week from all sorts of uh, angles. First, I just want to talk to you... Well, I want to mention a film. Uh, we're not going to cover it in today's show, but um, <coughs> there's a documentary out there. In fact, you can find it on YouTube. And if I've got the presence of mind sometime during the show, I'll put the URL for it inside the Rumble chat, uh, called The Watchmaker's Apprentice. And... Um, if you want to be transported into a world of the finest craftsmanship I think you're ever going to see, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's about an hour long. It's called The, Wa uh, the Watchmaker's Apprentice. It's about a gentleman called George whose surname escapes me, which, of course, is absolutely appalling. I should have remembered all this prior to the show. Um, but uh, he shoveled off this mortal coil a few years ago. But it's about his design of clocks or of watches and of pocket watches. And he builds every single part of the watch himself. Uh, from what it said in the documentary, uh, he's the first person to ever do that. I mean, literally every single part. So if you want to see a craftsman at work and what he can produce, um, you're going to absolutely love it. I've watched it twice, which is ridiculous that I can't remember his surname, but you know, it's been a busy week. Good grief. And um, a guy called Roger Smith, who is from Bolton, a uh, lot younger than him, uh, who in due course becomes his apprentice and designs and build watches from scratch. And so if you want to be reconnected with the world of astonishing craftsmanship, I mean, really, it's off the charts. There's a wonderful little quote in it there from um, a chap that knew him. He sat in his Bentley or something like that. It's that kind of set. But it's, it's actually set on the Isle, of, uh, the Isle, of, uh, Isle of Man, where they have the TT races, which is where he did all most of his watchmaking during the latter years of his life. And he said, if you look into one of George's watches, he said you're actually really looking into George's soul. So if you're into that kind of thing, that's a little recommendation for you. The Watchmaker's Apprentice is about an hour. It is kicking around on YouTube. I have got the URL somewhere. I will paste it in when we play some music or something like that. But on this uh, little thing about time, you've probably all noticed, well, I don't know, I don't know how old you are. I mean, if you're very young, you probably haven't used too much time up yet. But um, boy, does it speed up sort of exponentially the more of it you've had. And uh, I had uh, a very interesting, I think I touched on it or mentioned it briefly last week. Um, I had to go up, well, I didn't have to, you don't have to do anything, but I chose to go up uh, to the funeral of a very old friend of mine, somebody that I hadn't seen for maybe 30 years, but he was a very old and good friend of mine because we grew up together from about the age of five, really through about 24, 25 years of age when I, when I left that part of the world when I left Yorkshire and moved down to London but we still sort of kept in touch and my brother knew him and lots of the crowd that I was with knew him anyway 
I decided to go up to this funeral, and um, it was a magical event, which sounds, of course, a little bit uh, strange, what with it, you know, being the passing of someone that you knew, um, but the other people that were part of the crew, the clan, as it were, at the time, some of them were there, and none of them, none of us really expected to see anybody else there. And it was um, mind-blowing and heartwarming, and I, I don't know quite how to describe it, but I've been on a high ever since it happened on Monday. I, that's why I've been distracted. I've been sort of mentally and emotionally exhausted. Yes, me. I have. Um, wanted to go for long walks along the seashore and stroke my chin and ponder things and stuff like that. But in terms of, I mean, some of these people I've not seen for 40 years. Um, and I did point out to everybody, I said, well, we're not going to be able to do this again, are we? This is a one-time event. We're not going to be able to meet in another 40 years. I mean, if I do make 104, uh, you don't know, do you? You really don't know. So um, I don't know if you've ever had anything like that happen to you or come into your life or give you cause to really think about the time, but it was as if the 40 years just disappeared. I know you hear people say that. You go, no, that's not right. But when it happens to you, it's really quite a thing. And it, and it was just as if we were going to go and do all these things that we did back in the early 80s. Very, very strange, but marvellous and wonderful. And everybody was incredibly joyous to see everybody else. It was just good to turn up, stand around, shake each other's hands, um, you know, a few old flames there. There was all that rippling around gossip and stuff like this. If you've ever been in a scene like that, you'll know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I just thought I would mention that. You know, that's what's been going on with my week. Now, on to tonight's guest, <coughs> who's here. Um, and I'm just going to unmute him now whilst I introduce him. Uh, the gentleman's with me tonight is Roger Sales. And some of you may be aware of Roger and his work. I, th I don't know how many years I've known Roger, but it's quite a few. And um, he has a particular line of inquiry, a particular focus with regards to what's going on in the world and how to redress it, specifically with status and other aspects. Of course, it's mainly focused on an American audience, but it translates and it roots uh, back here to the UK in so many ways. So, Roger, welcome to the show. How are you this good afternoon? Thank you, Paul. Thanks for asking me. I'm doing great this afternoon, and uh, I'm really looking forward to being with you and your audience today. Yeah, well, I uh, <clears throat> I know you'd asked me to get you on a few times, and, and it was just, you know, at one show a week. I'm not, I mean, you do a show every single day, don't you? You're a... You're a six, six, six days a week, six days a week for a long time. Yeah. How many how many years have you been doing that? Uh, not, not the six days a well, week, but... Yeah. Uh, I've been on the air with this message about 13 years in this March, uh, actually next month. And uh, initially it wasn't on a regular daily basis. It was on a weekly basis and it morphed into a daily basis. And now we try and get on as much as we can. I was doing seven days a week there for about a year or a little more. And that was a little too much, really. Yeah. And I, I was listening. I was tuning into your show this afternoon. I think, of course, we've had this conversation a little bit earlier. But uh, as I went off for my uh, meaningful walk by the seashore today, I just happened to get one in. I was tuning in and listening to you, and you were providing. I've heard you say it before, but I think for this audience, many of which will have not heard you before, certainly the WBN audience will will not have heard you. I don't think it might be useful. I know you've done it once today already, but uh, you know practice makes perfect, and you can't repeat these things often enough. Is to just give us a little bit of background about how you've come into this field of inquiry. Let's call it that for now. 
and why you are still in it. What's what's this all about? It's very interesting. You know, when I was a child of the 60s, uh, the British music invasion and Vietnam and the assassinations of Kennedy and Martin Luther King and all that was my formative years. And I just always knew something was wrong. You know, I mean, I didn't know what it was. Obviously, I couldn't put my finger on it being in teens, early 20s. But I just knew something was wrong. And so I went through the 60s and the 70s and I got married. And and as I got into the 70s, my wife, one of my wife's brothers uh, was him and I were very close. And he used to tell me, he'd say, you know, there's this group of people that meet once a year called the Bilderbergers. And they have press there and they won't let anything out. And it's all secret and all this stuff. Well, obviously, he'd been to some John Birch meetings, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so all of a sudden I had a thread. Okay. Yeah. And, and that went on a couple of years. And uh, then I was doing some networking. I was teaching. My background is a music industry. I spent 20 years in and around big time music industry out of Atlanta. I used to work for labels. And then I taught for 10 years at the Art Institute of Atlanta. I taught broadcasting and record promotion, which is what I did. And, what years? Uh, what years were that, that then? These ten years. What? what that years was in the seventies. That was in right. the seventies. I was active in the seventies, and then uh, I, I uh, when the when the economy went south. If you remember, after Jimmy Carter and Reagan got elected, and he came in, there was pretty good inflation at that period of time, mm-hmm. about like we're seeing now. And uh, Reagan got elected, and he brought Paul Volcker in as the uh, head of the Federal Reserve, and he raised interest rates to twenty two percent to quell that inflation and that killed the record business okay and so after that i i was looking for a career and i ended up doing other things but i was teaching those two subjects at the art institute of atlanta for about 10 years right so it was in that period of time i had a lot of time on my hands uh because i didn't have a full load of teaching and uh I was doing networking, and somebody I was working with in one of those networking companies came up to me and said, income tax is illegal. I went, oh, yeah, sure, right. They go, no, no, we got this tape. And I said, well, yeah, it spurned this curiosity that had been with me. I said, well, I'm open-minded. I'll, I'll, I'll watch it, you know. And it took them about two weeks to get that tape down to me. And when I watch, I can tell you the date, okay? This is July 16th of 1992. That's yep. my Patriot birthday. Right. And I got to watch half of that tape, and I was astounded. It was by a guy named Al Carter, who had some of the, you know, like on the back of a notice of lien and the fact that it's only for government employees and all this titillating kind of stuff. And then about halfway through, it was Bill Clinton's first acceptance speech. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that or not. Uh, hopefully, I, I don't. Stop it. <laughs> well, I, I was going to stop the tape and watch it and come back and watch it, right? Yep. And so that some people will remember. I was kind of a political animal back then anyway. Um, it, it was the longest acceptance speech in the history of American politics. It lasted over two hours. He played his saxophone, all that kind of stuff. Well, by the time that was over... Um, I, I had to work the next morning, evidently, so I couldn't watch the rest of the tape and get up and go to work. So I went to bed, and then Friday I must have had something to do that night. And I didn't get to watch it again until Saturday morning. And I remember I woke up Saturday morning. It's like, Paul, you know one of those days you wake up and you don't even need a cup of coffee, right? You just wake up and you're wide awake and sit up straight in your bed. I bounded down the stairs. I stuck that tape in, and the second half of that tape was all even more 
conservative proofs, right? And yeah. at the end of that, I ask myself the question a bunch of people in this audience have asked themselves, if they can screw us this bad, what else the hell's going on that we don't know about? And that's where I started. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, okay. for people who are very young, I have to point out that when you use the word tape, I'm trying to, <laughs> we're talking about video yeah, it was tape, a, aren't we? Video, VHS. No, it was VHS. It sure was. I know. And so that's my Patriot birthday. And a couple of, we, I was very fortunate. We had a Jewish guy that was, a, he's one of the best networkers I ever met, man. This guy could, could solicit people like you've never seen. He was Russian and mm -hmm. he was a psychiatrist. His name was Stan Bravi. He's dead now, unfortunately. And he's a really good guy. Okay. Yeah. And, and Stan had, was a psychiatrist in Russia and he had, uh, they'd given him some small little cockroach, uh, spider web hospital and he turned it into a showcase and they were impressed. They gave him a bigger one. He did the same thing and they were about to send him to St. Petersburg to the biggest hospital there. And he was so sick of the system. He got to immigrate. So he got to immigrate to the U S didn't speak a word of English, started driving a cab in New York city. Yeah. <laughs> Hell of a guy, man. Lost all of his credentials. Got him back through LSU, actually, in the U.S. But he was such an interesting fellow. And he had that Russian accent, you know, Roger, Roger. And and he'd call and say, Roger, Roger, there's a tax meeting in town. When he knew we were interested, he knew the scheme because he was Russian and a Jew, see? Mm -hmm. And so he go, Roger, he, he instigated us toward him, you know. Roger, Roger, there's a tax meeting in town. And so I had been to see a guy. Some people know Phil Marsh. Uh, he was a tax guy for about five years back then and saw him and got some in initial information that led me further down the path. And a couple of weeks then after that, he, I get this call. And goes, Roger, Roger, there's a tax meeting in town. I said, Stan, who is it? Who is it? He says, I don't know. It's some guy named Benson. And I knew about Bill Benson already, and I thought that was who it was, right. who uh, wrote a book called The Law That Never Was. He and Red Beckman had a sponsor and went to every state in the union that was a state when the 16th Amendment was supposedly ratified. They went in the archives, and they found that not one state ever ratified the 16th or the 17th Amendment. Okay, okay. so for, for and, the UK audience, right. What is the 16th Amendment? What is that? The 16th Amendment is what was what was one of the things passed and the 17th, too, in 1913. Right. And that is what ostensibly gives the IRS a legal peg to put, put, put the income tax on you. Okay. And did that come in, did that come in before or after the arrival of the Federal Reserve? Because it's the well, same year. Well, it's very interesting. You'd, well, it's the same year, and it's very interesting you'd ask this question. Because what I've come to understand is they always set everything up backwards so they can execute it frontwards. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So in 1913, they passed ostensibly the 16th Amendment. It wasn't ratified, but the Secretary of State, a guy named Philander Knox, mm -hmm. got up in front of the Senate and banged a gavel and said, it appears the 16th Amendment's been ratified. Boom. It was in the spring. In June, they passed the 17th Amendment, which severed. The, in, before that, the state's legislature would appoint a senator to D.C., and they severed that connection and made senators popularly elected that was the 17th amendment but they waited until new year's eve to pass the federal reserve act so, it's so they were lining all their ducks up in a row to, to create Correct. a shift in terms of the and, way that they and here's them. the reason 
the yeah. tax system is, is integral to the monetary system. If they don't have the tax system to balance it just as instant inflation, everybody knows where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. So they've got to pass the tax mechanism first because should they not and they get the Federal Reserve passed and then not be able to pass the taxing mechanism, the system won't work. It's like their pressure valve and part of their whole sort of control it, system it, for the circuit, well, it's, right? It's, it's the re- it's the regulation of the bigger picture of the entire money supply is the tax system, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they pump it in one way and they drain it out another in, in very simple terms. I know it's, it's much more complicated it, than that. but uh, You know, Paul, the way I've honestly looked at it all these years is like a boiler. If you have a big boiler and you've got mm-hmm. a tube that leads in that, say, brings water, and then the boiler heats up and creates steam and the steam bleeds off on the other end, that's the monetary system. And yes. they can control it on the front end with interest rates on how much is loaned into the boiler, and then they can bleed off with the tax system and other mechanisms, too, how much is bled off so they can regulate that temperature and that pressure in the, in the boiler so the whole thing doesn't explode, if that makes sense to you. It's a very good analogy. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, the, 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 uh, stretching it even further, it feels like we, the consumer, are actually in the boiler being boiled by this process. Well, you are. Yeah. You, you are. You are, <laughs> Mr. <know>. Lobster. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting way you put it. There's all sorts of different ways of actually articulating this and describing it. And I guess there will be subtle differences, but only subtle differences between the system you were burdened with at that point and the one that we've been burdened with for a long time here. Because, um, I mean, in terms of income tax over here, uh, as you well know, I know, but I'm just re- reiterating it here, it, it didn't exist until the Napoleonic Wars when Pitt said, or was put, you know, it was, you know, they got together and said, well, a way to raise the money, this is what was sold to the public at the time, and no doubt there's a huge part of it is true. Uh, we need money to pay for all these armies because we've got to beat this French chap. And so, you know, income tax arrived. But the interesting point, I, d- I don't have my dates on this, uh, but they got rid of it. Um, I think probably after 1815, after the Battle of Waterloo, when they decided oh. that matters were settled. But a few years later, mm-hmm. some wise chap said, you know, that we really like that income tax thing. Can't we have it back? Yeah. You know, the control guys. So uh-huh. they they brought uh-huh. it back in. But uh, there was a period where we didn't have it again, you know. and um, Well, that's when they were formulating this system. It was in the early 1800s. And in our country, I believe now, I just realized this a year, year and a half or so ago, I believe that we now know the reason the Civil War was fought. And I believe once you understand what's really going on now that we know the end game, mm-hmm. you can go back with the 13th and the 14th Amendments, and I think I can prove to you that, they, that the reason the Civil War was fought was to get those two amendments in the Constitution so they can control the whole world with it 100 years later, which is exactly what's happened. Okay, so we've talked about the 16th Amendment and the 17th. Of course, people are not necessarily going to remember all this during the show as we rattle through them. But let's look at the 13th. So what is the 13th Amendment? What is that? The 13th Amendment is very interesting, and you've got to look at the chronology of events around the Civil War. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or as uh, one of our good listeners, you know, Daryl, came on one day and he said, you know, it's misnamed. It's not the Civil War. It's the war to bring in the civil law. I and like that, all the different is, appellations that it's being given. I like, I mean, obviously we use the U.S. Civil War because that's the that's the descriptive tag that everybody knows about it. But it really, you know, we had... 
I had Ken Carter on here about a month or so ago. I think he referred to it as the war between the states. Some people, of course, Mm -hmm. depending on which side you're on, refer to it as the war of southern aggression, which I tend to not be on that Mm -hmm. side. And some refer to it as the war of northern aggression. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Um, You know, the South had a chance to win that war at the Battle of Manassas. And it was the first one of the first battles, big battles. They could have walked into Washington D.C. There was no Northern Army yet, and a uh, a, a guy named Judah P. Benjamin, who the mm-hmm. Southern generals called, uh, 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 who's the president, uh, is uh, pet Jew. The president of the Confederacy, they called him his pet Jew, Richard P. Benjamin, and he called the generals back, and they hated him for it. They could have won the war right out the get. It but of course, Benjamin, Jew. we have to throw this in, don't we? Benjamin was an agent of another party, really, was he not? Yes, of the yes. Rothschilds, yes. Really? Okay. He God, was, that name keeps he cropping was, up, uh, you know, he, with alarming regularity. A, he, uh, it is. He was a. Uh, he owned a plantation in Louisiana. Yes. And he had married a former black slave as his wife. And today, his statue still stands in New Orleans, even though they took down Robert E. Lee's in the middle of the night a couple of years ago. Really? Gosh, yep. that's extremely wrong, isn't it? But then the usurers so, tend to get their way, don't they? They don't tend they? to get their way. So... So you have to understand the U.S. is the only country in history to ever fight a war to end slavery. And that's because they didn't fight a war to end slavery. They fought a war to institute a system of hidden slavery where they could enslave the U.S. and through the world reserve currency the entire globe 100 years later. So yes, I think, I think that was at, definitely laid in. You're absolutely right. I think, um, I mean, the, a very interesting um, an appealing period of U.S. history is really from 1776 to the unfortunate outbreak of hostilities, because that period, yes. which is not very long, is it? What is it? 74 years. Man, that was, like that. yeah. In many ways, you would have to say, and no doubt they were laying in the trouble then. I know they were. There was the War of 1812, wasn't there, where the Brits came back mm-hmm. and burnt Washington or mm-hmm. the White House down or something, but stole a lot of Correct. records. Something. I'm a bit misty on this, but I know mm-hmm. something went on. Um, and it must mm-hmm. have been very important to them because they were fighting Napoleon all the time all over Europe and spending money everywhere. But they came back to do that. But that period from 1776 through to 1860, I tend to view it through slight rose-tinted spectacles as being the heyday of it actually being a republic. And then from 1860 it onwards, it was a republic in name only. The rot was Correct. maturing rapidly through your systems. Yeah, Correct. I mean, we've undergone well, similar processes brought- here, but yes. All right. Well, they brought in the federal system and federalized it. That was the start of it. it. Was the thirteenth and the fourteenth amendment? But let me give you a little insight here. Just something one day that hit me. You know, I'm going to re- reform Judaism. Reform Judaism. Reform Judaism. So I went online. Do you know when Reform Judaism was started, Paul? Uh, I know. I don't. But let me have a guess. I'm going to say around about the 1840s, something like that. Pretty close, 1837 by the Rothschilds. Uh, look at me. I, my instincts are bang on. Yeah, I thought it was around there. Uh-huh. Yeah, because they uh-huh. funded it. Did they not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they funded and it. They, and, and we learned, uh, I forget, maybe on your show here, uh, I was listening to somebody and they were talking about the very first in, incursion into Palestine was 1820, and the Rothschilds started their first settlement in 1820. And do you know what that settlement is? That's the one that was invaded October the 7th by Hamas. Is it really? Hamas, which is also. Yes, uh, same um, one. Yeah, a creation of the same people. 
<laughs> oh, correct, correct. Of course. Yeah. So anyway, we got this war going, and afterwards, um, they uh, they let the the Southern senators in to vote on the Thirteenth Amendment, and that was in June. Mm-hmm. And in six months later, in the Fourteenth Amendment, unless your state had ratified the Fourteenth Amendment, they wouldn't let them in to vote on it. So what was so the Thirteenth Amendment? Yeah, what, yeah. Well, the Thirteenth Amendment is is constitutional. Is the first mm-hmm. point. I'm going to paraphrase it here for you because I don't have it right in front of me. Neither serve no neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist unless the person has been duly convicted of a crime shall exist in the states remember there's only one status the state citizen shall exist in the states or their t-h-e-i-r plural jurisdictions so there's two really important things to note in that it looks very simple on the on the surface but when you start looking at it you've got Slavery and involuntary servitude. Well, voluntary servitude is omitted. So voluntary servitude is legal by omission. Mm-hmm. And they can't stop it because that's an agreement on your part, like a bond servant, to go into servitude. And there's an earlier part of the Constitution that says they can't impair the ability to contract. So they can't impair that, but it's legal by omission in the 13th Amendment. And the other key thing is there, T-H-E-I-R, which denotes the states. Now, the 14th Amendment, we just deal with the first clause, says all persons born or naturalized in the United States, comma, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, singular, are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. So there's your two governments right there. One's plural, the states, in the 13th, and one's singular in the 14th. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And this is basically the foundational basis on which the arrival of income tax then uh, and these other events which take place. I mean, actually, not too far after that. We're talking, what, 1913 from 1865. That's not a long stretch of time in political. It's about another well, 45, 50 years, something like that. Right. But they didn't institute it. They didn't kick it over until 1933, March the 9th. Mm-hmm. And that was the bankruptcy. Okay. They bankrupted the country evidently in the bond market right the 29 stock market crash didn't cause the bankruptcy it may have indirectly okay but it was directly a bond market bankruptcy and it wasn't a liquidation bankruptcy it was a reorganization bankruptcy and that's when they switched the systems so let me illustrate this to you in a different way okay and i'm going to do it by using the word property okay so Paul, all of us listening here, no matter where we are in the world, we have a colloquial way of talking, and then there's a technical way of talking, okay? And this is the split that they're using. One of the tricks they're using is that right there with the language. If I were to say, you've got that nice car out there, that's, uh, you paid it off recently, that's your property, isn't it? And you'd yes. say, yes. Yes. And we'd all understand what just we just said, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we but would. Technically, that's not correct. Okay, because Mm -hmm. legally property is a right and the car would be a thing. So your property is a right in and to the thing. Of course, when you start talking. Sorry, but I was going to say. Yeah, (laughs) go ahead. No, you finish. I was just going to say the word right 
and rights is something we could probably do a whole series of shows on because I, I get yeah. mentally confused with rights. As I've mentioned to you before, it's mm-hmm. not so much mm-hmm. mentally confused, but it's, it's interesting, this thing about ownership. If I say I own a thing and you begin to break it down, of course, the, the Red Indians, not that I am one uh, and unlikely to be one in this lifetime, but the Red Indians assert that you can't own a thing. And I suppose mm-hmm. on a personal level, I view it as stewardship. But you, in terms of the, these technical things, this is the misuse or the misapplication or the intentional misdirection of language to assign, mm-hmm. to give more power to the controllers and less power to us, mm-hmm. a way of curtailing Let freedoms. Me, um- yeah. You know, this is very interesting. Let's memory peg this right here, and I'll get back to it. But let me bring something else in. You know the first time you were ever exposed to this, this scam? Uh, which one? <laughs> There's so many. Which the one, one that we're talking. Well, the big one, the big one. And I, well, I know yeah, you're going to give I the did, right yeah, answer. I, I'm, I'm baiting you. Yeah, it no, was. No, it, was it, the wasn't. Mid- it was No, no, it wasn't. It was the oh, first I've, time you saw Alice in Wonderland. Uh, yeah, maybe. I never liked that film, though. I always find it a bit disturbing, didn't Doesn't you? Doesn't matter. Well, I'm going to give <laughs> yes. you a couple of quotes from it. Let me quote a little bit from Alice here. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, it was written by Lewis Carroll. His mm-hmm. best friend was a guy named John Ruskin, who was the Oxford professor that was a Cecil Rhodes professor. Yes. Uh, he went over and taught Lewis Carroll's daughter's watercolor twice a week, and he and Lewis Carroll were very good friends. This work was originally called Through the Looking Glass, which the working title right yeah well looking glass of course is a mirror if you go through the the looking glass you're in a world of opposites then aren't you you are yes okay and that's where we are in fact if you go online and look at lady rothschild's costume ball back in the 70s and one of the articles that'll pop up it says in the first it lady rothschild paul she was so clever she wrote the invitations backwards so you'd have to look at them in a mirror to read them i've seen those yes uh, that's the that, that's the where those photographs came out a couple of years ago mm-hmm, where they're all mm-hmm. dressed very oddly mm-hmm. by today's by anybody's yes. standards actually they yep. it's an esoteric uh, sort of process yes. that's taking place that's exactly what they're eating doing. eating a cadaver cake and things like that yeah. yes all that um, weird so that so here's a couple of quotes from uh, alice at the very first alice is being taught by her teacher down on a sloping hill on a blanket and alice like most students daydreams off and and there's a tree at the top of the hill with a branch that parallels the ground and she is laying on her back on the branch with her cat in this dream, daydream mm-hmm. and this is the dialogue if i had a world of my own everything would be what it is because everything would be what it isn't and then what it is it wouldn't be you see mm-hmm. yes there's your upside down world okay now this one's even more poignant this is what spurned this this is a dialogue between humpty dumpty and alice and i'm going to use a little po- poetic liberty here and add a word, okay, just so for emphasis. When I use a word, resident, Humpty Dumpty said in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I say it means, no more, no less. But the question is, said Alice, how can you make the word resident mean so many different things? The question is, said Humpty Dumpty, who's to be master? That's all. That is all, I think, in their worldview. Absolutely. Yes, it is. Okay. 
So these words are very important, okay? And so back to this property thing. Before 1933, we had gold and silver as currency because we were free people and no one had a property right on us. And we could buy things, pay the bill with real money, and take ownership of that property because no one had a property right in us. After March the 9th of 33, they switched the systems, took the gold. You remember Roosevelt took the gold? I do. And they came out with the paper that, unbeknownst to you, you were now the collateral for. So people that now have a property right on them can't use real money. They have to use debt money. And they can't pay for things. They can only discharge the debt. And they can't own them, but they can control them and possess them. There's the change in the systems. Yes. It's complicated, isn't it? To people hearing this for the first time, I'm just going to ask you to slow down a bit because I can tell, I can feel it in the ethers. To people hearing this for the first time, this is a labyrinthine, highly complicated, and at first blush, confusing process, very much so, yes. because it, it effectively unsettles nearly all your perceptions or your views or your beliefs about what money is, what you've been doing with your life to supposedly earn it, what your status is. I know this is a key part of what you're teaching and what you're actually guiding people on, all of these things, uh, that we've been put into a position, as, a, as you said, as collateral chattel, as it were, um, for a system which we're led to believe is still the same, but which clearly is not. It's clearly been restructured underneath our feet to the benefit of yep. those that want it restructured that way and to our detriment, without a doubt. Yep. Yep. There was uh, an article, it's on our website, and our Paul B. Uh, posted on our website. It came out of your country uh, right at the start of the COVID thing through uh, your NIH, Okay. What's and NIH? Mom goes in. What's NIH? National Institute of Health, in, in, the Health Service, isn't that what it is? Uh, we have national. a we have an NHS, a National Health okay, Service. What do you have? That, you have an NIH. Do okay. You? Yeah. Okay. Well, we've got, I don't know what we got. Some kind of crap. I don't. I'm sure it's just brilliant, just anyway, like houses. Whatever. It's brilliant. All right. As we've got an we've got a a, a Dyke Jew admiral that runs it. You know, it's brilliant. Oh, is no, is that that? What is that's that? Oh, yeah, yeah. You're just going cackle. Rachel away. I think I, yeah, you know, get cackling. I think if you can't cackle now, when can you cackle? But uh, what's the name? That's that creature, Levine. Is it Rachel, 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 Rachel Levine. But it's a man. The who admiral. She's a woman. She's yes, an admiral. Okay. No, she's an admiral. I don't know what she's I'm supposed woman. to call She's a man. Yes. She's an admiral. Okay. Well, this is good. I'm sure it's I'm all going to turn out swimmingly well. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. I'm so sorry. Uh, no, no, so anyway, uh, uh, anyway, this came out of your National Health Service, whatever it's called, okay? Mm -hmm. And we've got the article. It's on the Matrix Docs, DOCS.com. You go read it. You, probably, you may remember hearing about it when I tell you. Because a lot of people covered it, and and what happened? Mom went in to have the baby. They at that point they're they're sticking that long Q-tip up everybody's nose, the PBS or PSB test, whatever it is, mm -hmm. and so it hurts. The baby's obviously not comfortable and screaming. The mother objects, and the nurse turns to her. The nurse turns to her and says, "You can't object. That baby's our property." Yes. So to just jump ahead with what you've said, just a little thought, because I'm trying to simplify this, not only, well, I'm trying to simplify it for myself, and I won't, I'm not going to do it in this meeting with you, this show with you, that's not going to happen, because it's complicated, 
But the essence of it, let's, let me have a stab at it now. It'll be wrong in part, but it's something like this. We have a complex system that is intentionally complicated to, if, to drive people's attention away, which it does. It requires persistent determination to unearth this sort of uh, weird, uh, occult information, the way that things are being structured. And we've been put into a position such that, as, that they have classed us as cattle, effectively, which they own, and therefore, but we are led to believe that we've still got these certain rights and everything like that. But when push comes to shove, just like in this moment with the woman and the baby, the truth is out that their entire legal system is arranged in such a way that we don't have these perceived entitlements. We don't have these things because they are saying we own you literally in law. Is that part of it? You have, yes, you have civil rights, not God-given capital R rights, but civil rights, which are nothing more than privileges. They can be given and they can be taken away. Okay. And, and that's the differential between those two on our date example. Before March the 9th, they, had, they were free people. They had God-given rights and constitutional protections. After that, they've got limited access to the Constitution, and they've got civil rights under the 14th Amendment, which I'll just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag here. Hidden underneath that in all these countries is the feudal system. Yes, well, we've, I mean, we've seen... We've seen a lot of articles of those people that are out there grazing the internet, consuming it over the last five or six years, that the plan of these agendas that they've got, the 2021 and 2030 thing, is to recreate, bring back a feudalistic condition where there are lords and and there are slaves, mm -hmm. effectively, to use their well, they've already got. Language. They've done that. Mm -hmm. They're just going to finalize it. They've already done that. We've already got that situation. They're just going to finalize it. But your work, but this on, is on the a beautiful note, part. I want right? to throw a positive well, in here. Your work, therefore, okay. just, to, just to cut to the end, or possibly part uh -huh. of the end, and, and I won't get this uh -huh. right either, what, what I've got from listening to you, not all these details now, but what I get is what you're pushing for is this, that there's something – in the status, I'm just going to use that word. I don't even really know what that means. I know what it means in class circles, right? But let's. Mm -hmm. there is this word called status, i.e. something that defines us, that there is a process that you are involved with, that you are a key part of, which can affect or change or move your status in such a way that you are removed from this condition that they've placed you in and that these hidden powers, these hidden forces that they are laying over you suddenly become or are in the process of becoming null and void and you are freed up That's correct. from whatever That's obligations, correct. whatever things. They say you have a contract with us, which you weren't aware of because you don't even use that language, but they do in their little circles. So that if you mm -hmm. shift your status, if you go through a process of shifting your status, you remove yourself from these hidden hitherto to you, hidden contractual obligations which they say bind upon you, turning you into a slave, and you say, no, mm -hmm. I've done this, I've done that, here's this, here's that, I'm not talking to you anymore, bye. Is that, is that the gist That's of correct. it? That's the gist of it, and they recognize it because they have to. If they don't recognize it, because this is their system they've built, mm -hmm. if they don't recognize it, they're open tyrants. And they know history very well and what happens to open tyrants. You see, if they tell you what you are, that's tyranny. 
But if, because you're the one that determines where you are, I can go live in any country of the world, okay, as long as I can get their passport and go through this procedure. But yet they try and hide this one where I basically call it repatriation, where you repatriate back to the original state citizen status that was the only political status in the country for almost 80 years before the passage of the 14th Amendment. Then that created the second one. So that was the only one. And the key to it, Paul, is what we covered earlier in the 13th Amendment, and that is voluntary servitude. It's got to be voluntary servitude, and that means you've got to agree to it. Okay, and and, and yet is it not done. the case? Is it not the case that they have put in place all sorts of machinations and processes and communications, which have caused people unknowingly to put themselves in voluntary servitude? Is that one? Is that part of it? One. Well, they've asked one. They've got one, and then the others reconfirm that. Okay, mm-hmm. and that is that you mentioned contract. This is the feudal system. It is a contract. Contract. It's a contract that most lawyers, nobody's ever heard of because it was exclusive to this system. It's a silent contract that runs generationally. Now, how you identify it is, uh, is a, a, this is English. This is the English variety of slavery, okay? You know, England has a free soil doctrine. There's never been a slave born on the island of England. This was the voluntary aspect after William the Conqueror beat King Harold and brought in the European common law, which included feudalism. But they only brought the voluntary side over, not the involuntary side that was like black slavery that existed in Europe. They could only bring the voluntary over because of English free, free soil doctrine. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that's what William the Conqueror did. If you go look at the Doomsday Book in Black's Law Dictionary, it'll say William the Conqueror sent out surveyors, talks about minute and second measurements, surveying terms, and he gave all the land of England to his nobles. But William was really smart about this. We're still a bit cross about that. Right. He was real smart about it because he'd take somebody and he'd give them land up in where you're from, up in the northwest. Mm-hmm. He'd give them some in the southeast. He'd give them some in the northeast. And he'd give them some down by Cornwall. So they were constantly riding from territory to territory and never had time to get together and plot to overthrow him. Yes. Yes, he was. Okay. Yes, he was. I mean, obviously, the Doomsday Book, as far as we're aware, is the first sort of big tax. It's a big database to actually lay the basis of, you know. I mean, it's a long time. It's a thousand years ago, nearly, is this thing. He he brought in the feudal system. It's the feudal system. The word estate means less than true ownership in itself. So in those days, and I'm not sure the sequence here, but if you owned your land directly from William, let's say you were called a prince. And if you sublet your land out to somebody else, they might call you a duke and if the duke sublets his land out to somebody else he was called an earl so they knew by your title in what relationship you owned your land from the king interesting i didn't know that that's very interesting okay yeah that's useful. That's so anyway, useful. he instituted the, slow, the feudal system in England, and, and there was only the voluntary side. Now in that, and you can go look this, in Monty Python's Holy Grail, they've got one of these. It's called an Oath of Fealty. <laughs> it's all historically. It's oath? all uh, fealty. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, fealty to the Lord. Yes. Right. And but so you're not here, going to. this was... 
Well, this is the way you volunteered into the condition that you could only volunteer in. There was no involuntary servitude in England. And so you would, let's say, uh, the times were bad down in jolly old. You couldn't, uh, England, you couldn't feed the family. And you go, hey, honey, I got to go volunteer into servitude. Well, okay, honey, if that's what we got to do. So you go to the Lord of the manor and you cut a deal with him. And then they come on and you do this ceremony, an oath of fealty. And you would kneel on both knees. Now, that's very important because you only kneel on both knees to God, okay? Mm -hmm. You would kneel on both knees and put your hands above your head as if you were praying. The Lord of the manor would stand over you, put his hands over your hands. The rest of the serfs were surrounding this oath because they're witnesses. This is a contract, an oral contract. And you would swear your body and your worldly goods to the Lord of the manor your body as property and your worldly goods because now he had a property right in you and you couldn't own other property so you had to give him your worldly goods too nice i said now, solid deal how attractive is that it's very attractive well that's why, why do you think they like why do you think they like this system <laughs> well, of course it's great it's really good if you if you're the if you're the guy in charge but i guess the guy taking the the, the voluntary servitude uh, contract like you said earlier, is because he's under such conditions of hardship that he had no other choice. I can only assume that that must have been the case. And, of course, they would have brought about, as you mentioned, the causative reasons to put him into hardship to basically drive people into voluntary servitude, which is a very sort of cat-handed way of saying you're going to – you're mine, basically. And I'm sure some of the lords were good guys and people would stay, you know, and they have children. So now you and the wife are property, and when you get amorous and you produce a child – the child is born into the same condition because you were in the condition. It's no different if you got a bull and a calf out in the backyard and they have a calf. That calf's yours, okay? A, mm-hmm. a, a bull and a cow. Same thing here. They've got a property right into you. You're born into that condition, but it's voluntary. And you can go six, seven, eight, ten generations and someone can still volunteer out. Right. So, in. Are you saying that in simple language, there is an opportunity for people to volunteer out of the condition that they're in? There's got to be because you volunteered in, but you were put in it with fraud. So for the Americans particularly, we'll relate to this, okay? So in 33, when they switched the system, they put everyone in the country in a surety for this hypothecated debt in this 14th Amendment condition as property. So every generation that's been born since March the 9th of 33 is born into the same condition. As you get older, you're going to get these two questions. Are you a citizen of the United States? Are you a resident? Mm -hmm. And you sign something. Everyone always answers yes. And now, even though you didn't volunteer in the condition, they put you in with fraud, you've now agreed to it. Right. So the the language that they've used has evolved, and the smoke screens that they've used have evolved, but the principle remains the same. You are taken yep. into a condition unknowingly. I, I We yep. have to assert that because most people listening to this will not know any of this at all. Much of what you're saying is new to me. I guess I've always been just trying to get the base of the... I'm very happy now 
um, with getting very clear that there is a pro- that by changing your status in regard to this condition, which most people are unaware of, you nullify it, and you're back in a position of being in the saddle with you, your own life. What you do is you remove yourself from being a Jim Crow federal citizen, and you literally, the federal government loses all control and ties over you, with the exception of two very rare and obscure constitutional taxes in the Internal Revenue Code, which I don't think any of our people would ever owe. Those right. are the only attachments that the federal government has to you. Oh, all of the over 600-plus federal agencies, all of the state agencies, which are political subdivisions of the federal government, mm-hmm. all of their regulations or man-made laws are written for residents. And that goes back to the 14th Amendment. All persons born or naturalized in the United States, comma, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, comma, are citizens of the United States, A, there it is, and the state wherein they reside, a resident. Now, what they're asking you when they ask you those questions, are you a federal citizen the same as, this is the first one, are you a citizen of the United States, are you a federal citizen the same as former black slaves who were given federal citizenship with civil rights after the Civil War? And you, not knowing what they're asking you, answer yes. The resident one is the real tricky one, because virtually nobody knows the origins of this, Paul. The origins of the term resident are in ambassadorial law, when countries trade ambassadors and sign a treaty. Okay. Right. So, as you know, I'm in Ecuador. All right. So I I use Ecuador. So let's say the Ecuadorian ambassador flies into Dulles. They're outside of D.C. And he gets caught with a kilo of cocaine in his diplomatic pouch. Happens all the time. What do they do to him? Yeah, well, it could. Okay. But what do they do (laughs) to him is the question. I don't know. They throw him in jail for trafficking? They send him back to Ecuador. Right. They send him back to Ecuador because he's in residence, and that means Ecuador's laws apply to him, not the laws of the United States. So these words, there's a clutch that have been used, and there's probably many more. There's the word resident, there's citizen, there's national, there's Mm -hmm. status. Mm -hmm. Is there a, um, a little handbook of crisp crystal clear definitions of these well, words is there one i'd say so we got one of our real good students devon has he got real moved by this information he wrote his own book mm-hmm. little book it's 71 pages long it's called the citizen handbook for nationals you can find it on our website download it and read it and yes mm-hmm. i think that would cover all those things fantastic and there's you know, there's a does, lot does he, to learn uh, in his here, dictionary, but, right? In his dictionary, Roger, or, or in this document, does it deal with um, uh, uh, subjects? Because you see, we have a king. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Right. And, well, and did you catch that in the Fourteenth Amendment and subject to the jurisdiction thereof? Well, I didn't. I've only heard you say it the once, but yes, I'll go and look at it. But right, okay. I mean, you know, because okay. we all love being well, subjects me, of the king. We love it. Uh, don't well, we, let me show you where everything turns. Everybody's got to. Let me show you where this turns. So this is very interesting. That's what it says, all persons born or naturalized in the United States, comma, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. So there is a two-pronged legal test. So you got to be born or naturalized in the United States for the first prong. They took care of that by putting you into this condition after March the 9th of 33. 
Mm-hmm. So they took care of that. The and subject. Notice it doesn't say are subject to the jurisdiction thereof. It says and. Yes. So if there's some that are and subject, aren't there some that are and not subject by default? That would seem by logical deduction to be true. Yes. That's the national. There's the national. So the two questions, are you a citizen of the United States and a resident, which are the end of the 14th Amendment, are the trigger for and subject to the jurisdiction thereof? You answered these yes and signed something. You might ought to know what you are. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Hell, you got to be our slave. So you've That's admitted. It, right there. Got it. So people are seduced into by convention and by group mass agreement and by historical, you know, echo down the lines yes i'm a citizen and a resident they claim that and in the process of yep. doing that they put that they're basically saying oh yeah and i also understand even though they don't i understand that this is putting me in voluntary servitude to you and your systems yep. and yep. that's what happens uh your your man bertrand russell called it that the people would be enslaved and enjoy their slavery and this is how they're doing it right there okay now you know you know who the colonel mendel house was he was woodrow wilson's handler you I know probably him. heard his name. Yeah, I know. Uh, it was so a, let's a just say this for, if you, if for listeners who are not. Colonel Mandelhouse, he wrote a book called Philip Drew Administrator, didn't he, in which they were laying Correct. out much of their plans. And he was uh, he was Wilson's right-hand man, and much of these calamitous, hideous decisions that Wilson was uh, compelled uh, to enter into because they had dirt on him, some dalliance with yes. some bird some years previously which was going to completely detonate his public persona and everything so he ended up signing yep. the most hideous agreements into law because uh, they were they had him over a barrel and not he won't be the first yep. person in a position of power to have had to endure yep. that no matter he how was, good he was he was he was up to epstein so in his papers when he died they found a note from colonel house uh mm-hmm. it's in a it's in a, a book by a former judge and u.s attorney uh, called Fruit from a Poisonous Tree, but it's a very interesting, I can't quote the whole paragraph, but at the very first he said, we will make them sureties by invoking the ancient pledge. Well, what's the ancient pledge? It's the oath of fealty. Right. Roger, we're and halfway the through end, the show. Listen, he, we're at the top of the hour, so you can take, you can, uh-huh. we're just going to take a break now. Now, All he right. foolishly sent some some tracks over for us. So, as you know, <laughs> okay. And I, I know I don't think you're here for the full two hours, but this is up to you. But I'll just I'll anyway. We're at the top of the hour. You're listening to uh, Paul English Live, paulenglishlive.com. We're here on WBN324.zil. I'm here with uh, Roger Sales, my guest. I'm going to say all this again after this, but we're going to play a song. I'm going to pick one, and uh, Paul just did a remix whilst we were on air. This is such an amazing service. <laughs> it's just fantastic. I don't think just to let you know. Paul hasn't taken oath of fealty to me with regards with regards to producing <laughs> these things. Okay, so we're going to play this song. I'm here with Roger Sales, and we'll just have a we'll have a word. This runs for about four minutes, and uh, if you identify it well, you win a bag of toffees. Here we go. It's a toe tapper. <laughs> Thank you. 
Attention all listeners, are you seeking uninterrupted access to WBN 324 Talk Radio despite incoming censorship hurdles? Well, it's a breeze. Just grab and download Opera Browser, then type in WBN324.ZIL. And stay tuned for unfiltered discussions around the clock. That's WBN324.ZIL. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on the World Broadcasting Network are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of its owners partners and other hosts or this network. Thank you for listening to WBN 324 Talk Radio. Hello and uh, welcome back to Hour 2. <coughs> just after the hour, actually, just gone seven minutes past nine here in the UK. So what, seven minutes past four? I'm here with uh, Roger Sales 
And Roger, you picked that. What on earth was it? That was One Way Out by the famous Allman Brothers with a slide guitar being played by the late deceased Dwayne Allman, probably the finest slide guitar player in history. And you grew up on that. That's your era of music. Kind of. Yeah. yeah, I kind of did as well. I'm a little bit young. I'm a little bit younger. I mean, I was. I'm looking at the date on that. That's 1971. So I was 11. Uh-huh. So I have to tell you, I was not aware of them when I was 11. This is true. I was aware of right. other things, ice cream and uh-huh. stuff like that, but not really rock music. That came about four or five years later. And, but, uh, and they were a southern band, obviously. And that particular cut and the other one that I sent you, called Statesboro Blues, were both done live at the Fillmore East in New York City. Right. Yes, I can see that. Well, you know, if you're here, we might get round to Statesboro Blues, although normally what I try to do is I don't try to have two songs in the show from the same people, so I don't Uh know. Maybe somebody could call in and sing us a song. Um, You never know. Well, uh, those were... uh, What they would do is they would go back and get songs from like Howlin' Wolf and and, and, and all these old black artists, and that's Statesboro Blues is one of those, and I think One Way Out is also. Yeah. Um, your time on radio. Your on, time on radio was it? Were you on radio doing things like this at that time, I, or was that a little bit later? I, 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 right as I got into radio was in the '71. Yeah, right. And I was a smacky mouth disc jockey in Panama City, Florida, were my town. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Smacky mouth. I quite like that. What does that smacky mean? mouth? <laughs> yeah, that means you. And we're really? playing the hits. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I need to call you after the show and get some tips on that because I wouldn't mind being called Paul Smacky Mouth English. That's quite interesting. Really. I quite like that one. That's pretty cool. Uh, so that's I was where I started my a- career. Yeah, no, that's how I got I w- in the music business, right? Actually, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know if I mentioned it on this show earlier or whether it was on the end of the conversation with you this afternoon. This is always the thing. A problem with pre-show chats is I never know where I've put it in the show or whether I'm about to repeat yes, it. But right. we were, t- I was mentioning this thing. I've mentioned it here a couple of weeks ago as well, but it's worth repeating again. This you talked about the end of radio or the music industry with certain tax things that had happened. But this was a little discussion, and I did mention it here on the show, but I'm going to repeat it, um, where this uh, um, Telecommunications Act got passed in 96 or something, enabling, uh, I think it's Clearfeed mm-hmm. or something like that, Clearfeed mm-hmm. Community, and another Clear company. Channel. Clear, Clear Channel. Clear Channel. And they bought up all these radio stations, and since then... Yep. I couldn't have told you that that's what caused it, but everybody feels that the record industry or the recording, whatever you want to call it, as basically the vast majority of what it produces this century is complete junk, most of it. The the stuff that they put together is just conformist, boring, tedious pap. I mean, it's just useless. Well, there's not a bunch of different ownership entities to go to where you can break new records from unknown artists that people will play them and see if you've got something to move on to the bigger markets. Mm Mm-hmm. When Newt Gingrich passed the Deregulation Act and Clear Channel and uh, Cumulus was another one, and there's a couple of them, they came in and bought all those radio stations. So now instead of having 10 or 12 different owner stations to go to, you go to one guy, and he controls all that. And now the record company presidents really are bowing at his feet. 
Yeah, it's, it's a bad state of affairs. I mean, it explains why. Yeah. You think, oh, suddenly, oh, the young generation, they can't produce music, but this is complete nonsense. It's just that it's mm-hmm. not made as accessible in the ways that people That's have correct. been trained in, into it. And correct. I think I was mentioning earlier, somebody, I was speaking to Malefica Scott the other day because I, he's a musician. Many people involved in mm-hmm. the radio game have got a strong love and, and sort of a history in music, uh, which is understandable. And I, uh, I was talking to him about this, and I, I passed off some sort of idiotic comment like, you know, where do I find all the new people? I mean, they've got to be out there, but I just haven't got the time to do it. I, I personally don't. Mm-hmm. It sounds lame, but it's just, I just look at my, well, I'm going back to the time thing. I need a 48 hour right. day. I banged on about this for ages. But he right. said, he sent me something. He said, go and have a look at this. And it was um, an artist called uh, a lady in London. I mean, it could have been anywhere, I suppose, but she was a, a London gal called Kerry Ann, spelled C E R I A N. And she's got a keyboard, and she plays keyboard and three or four things. And she's just, she's got a headset on, and she's just singing and playing mm-hmm. music straight at you live on a Twitch feed. And it was very, very good. It was very good. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the music that I like, but that's not the point. You smell yeah. talent, or you see it straight off, and right. it's all over the place. But, of course, right. it's pushed out of spaces. And I do think that mm-hmm. there's a great opportunity for shows like this and anybody that's doing things like this to try we, we've got to find some kind of bridging mechanism to bring these artists into these spaces because music is very very powerful and the other side as we know i know from per- personal contacts they do not like it when you start to get things into song because song bites and moves faster than anything else it's an extremely yes. powerful medium uh, very very powerful it's why you just played the allman brothers because it's resonant with it's, you all this time it's the uh, it's the universal language well it is it is. Yeah. I mean, it creates a lot of um, arguments. It did, it did with me and my mates. But that was... Uh, I like that, um, by the way. I like the Allman... I knew I was going to like the Allman Brothers, and I have heard Oh, boy, they're, they were great. Yeah, great yeah. band. And he was very played last he, week. Yeah. No, he wasn't. He died. He died, was riding a motorcycle without a helmet, had a yeah. crash, had a concussion, died, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. The one you played last week that spurned all this was Rambling Man, which I played when I was in radio, okay? But right. Dwayne was already dead by that time, and they had a fantastic guitar player for the rest of the life of the band named Dickie Betts, and that's who was doing all those riffs and everything and what you played last week. But that's why I sent you that. I said, you want to hear some real Almond Brothers? Boom. Okay, so that's where that came from. Um, I want to go back. So for clarification for the audience, I want to do a connection here so they'll understand, okay, on the connection between how they got the feudal system in, okay? And the, the, the key was in that story about the nurse there in your country. And see, there's two ways to pass hereditament. One is by blood. That's called just, J-U-S, law sanguinius, I believe is the way it's pronounced. And the other is just law of tierra, of the ground. The Mm -hmm. one by blood is where you take on your parents' uh, political status. And that's still evident if you, you know, if you've got Greek grandparents or Polish, Spanish, Italian, you can go back and get those passports. Mm Mm-hmm. What is a passport? That's, what is one? That's what a, is a passport. A passport is a document issued by a competent authority that presents you to foreign countries in your true and correct political status. 
So could could I be a competent authority? I mean, there's going to be a lot no, of debate well, about that. Well, you, <laughs> no, you're going to have to get some endorsements to do it. But it's something from your country that you apply for that goes in and establishes your political status and your pers- legal personality. That means from where you get your rights and to whom you owe your duties. Yeah. And that presents you to foreign countries. It's under the law of nations by Vattel. Okay, and so that is uh, you can go back if you've got one of those countries, those countries are under just sanguineous or else you wouldn't be able to go back if your grandparents were Polish and get a Polish passport. The other is called just tierra, tierra being dirt. That means you're assigned a political status from where you're born. That's what happened to that child. It's born on the Isle of England. You're under this system. The nurse says you can't object. That baby's our property. Notice it was a brand new baby. It didn't have a birth certificate yet. It wasn't any of those things. Those aren't the nexus. Those represent the nexus. Okay. It's being the act of being born. And I'm going to give you the perfect example, whether you've heard of it or not in our country called anchor babies. Are you familiar with that term? I've heard of it. Yes. I'm, I'm familiar with that term. Yes. Okay, for the audience that isn't, an anchor baby is when a Mexican mother comes across the Rio Grande, nine months pregnant, has the child on the U.S. side. The child is now a citizen of the United States. The parents are still Mexican nationals. That's just Tierra. And the only system in history where that has been operable was the feudal system. And it was integral to the feudal system because it maintained the labor on the manor without having to go out and acquire additional labor. Right. So you have been involved in this for a long time. And over recent years, certainly with your broadcasting and with the book you wrote, Sovereign to Surf, you are effectively championing a process for people to enter into where they take themselves from this implied condition that they that they now find themselves in courtesy of reading your material and they get themselves out of this condition of voluntary servitude and change their status is that right Uh, that's correct i like to look at it this way because you know whether you do that or not is not my decision so i you use the word champion i guess that's correct but i consider my role is to be the guy to tell you that you've got a choice that you probably didn't know you had and to give you the facts and let you make the decision as to if that's what you want to do or not right so you you've you've worked on the processes for the US um, yet we now here in the in jolly old England we are faced probably with although there'll be slight variations in it but we are faced really with a similar process that there must be a channel and a path through for us well, here in these islands to actually put us to go through a similar process let me give you the big picture here the big picture is this is how Esau Edom has stolen back his birthright I believe we're talking about the beast system of revelation, mystery Babylon, that nobody understands, okay? Mm-hmm. Because of the words and because of the hidden nuances like this feudal system, 
All right. But now your guy, you introduced, oh, I haven't talked to him. I've heard about him through you named John Smith. And I believe John Smith has the answer for the rest of the world in this condition. But I don't know much about his, his process. I know a little bit. But I think what it does is the same thing that what our affidavit does when you submit it to the Secretary of State. They're running, excuse me, they're running everything, Paul, under what's called a presumption of law. Have you ever heard of that? I have heard that, yes. Okay, a presumption of law is a presumption based upon another fact. So they go in and and, and through fraud bankrupt the country, and then they put you in as a surety, and it's the presumption that you're this covering for that debt. And then they ask you if you agree with it throughout your whole life, and you do. So, I mean, Paul ought to know what he is. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. You're, you're a serf, and you admitted it, right? So we're going to mm-hmm. take you at your word. That's yep. what's going on, okay? So you've got to rebut that presumption. And that's what the affidavit does, and I believe that's what John Smith's common law birth certificate does the same thing. I'm going to have to really look into this properly. As you know, I've dallied with it for several years, ever since you brought it to my attention. And I have spoken to John Smith, but that would be maybe three or four. It was certainly pre-COVID, so it's some time ago. Mm -hmm. And in this Mm -hmm. interim period, although I have not made connection with any of these individuals, but I've got a couple lined up on my to invite here list. Um, there, there more have sprung up. Certainly more have sprung up. I don't, I'm not suggesting that their presentations contradict one another because I've not looked into them hard enough. Um, uh, a little comment here, by the way, from Warren, who says, John Smith is a good man and speaks with honour. Certainly, Warren, that's how I found him when I spoke to him as well. Uh, I, I, I find, I guess, as a marketeer, which is what I used to do, I'm very keen on finding extremely simple, uh, almost posterized meme, very brief things to get this point across. Because what you're I'm just going to use the word suggesting. I think it's much stronger than that, but let me just use that word for now. I think you've got a deep conviction about this, which is born out from your your deep personal understanding of the whole thing. But what what is being suggested here is that there is a process, I'm, I'm repeating myself again, but that there's a process that someone here in the UK could take us through or show us that the pivot point of the bulk of their control system is that we are in a condition that we're basically prone, almost supine, at their mercy uh, whenever the push comes to the shove. This sort of sense that we don't have an ability to turn things in our favour, and it's borne out really by the work that you're doing. You're saying, well, yes, of course, because you unknowingly volunteered for this status. Now, here's what you do to knowingly uh, correct right. that error that's that's hung over you your entire yeah. life. Yeah. See, now here's the important part. Why, why do they want this system like this? And why have they gone to such lengths to carry this out? Because once they have a property right in you, that allows them to do two really important things. They take the birth certificate, which is acting, we believe, as a warehouse receipt, which is a commercial document yes. where the paper actually takes on the good and the good becomes the paper, right? Mm-hmm. And so then they attach your birth certificate to the bonds. Is not bond the root word of bondage? Yes, it is. 
Okay. So they, uh, they're collateralizing your future income, and they're putting that out in the bond market in 5, 10, 20, 30-year bonds, and they pay the coupons to the bondholders by extracting your income tax to pay them. Roger, I, 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 you're absolutely you're bang on with that. I mean, I've mentioned, I may have mentioned it to you some time back, and I think I've probably mentioned it here before. But you know, repetition is the key with this stuff. Um, yes. The, the guy that taught me about banking back in 1997, one day, I'm being driven to the railway station because it was the end of the working day, and he said, "I'll drop you off." So I'm in the car, we're tooling along down this road somewhere in Essex, it was at the time, and we pass. Uh, uh, a completely hideous one-story building, a typical government building, you know, devoid of any beauty whatsoever, just junk, basically, meant to send out signals of misery into the local area, which it suitably did. He said, do you see that building over there? I said, yes. He said, do you know what they do in that building? I said, well, no, of course not. I don't, <laughs> I'm not from around these era parts. I don't know what they... He said, well, they gather in all the birth certificates. He said, these, these buildings are all over England. He said, and this is the local one here. And they gather the birth certificates in. This is the way he expressed it, you know. And he said, they, those birth certificates are gathered up on a regular basis and they go off and they end up in the, on the desk of the treasury. I said, really? Mm -hmm. He said, yeah. He said, and then uh, somebody inside the Treasury Department will make a calculation. They will look at the gender, the sex of the baby. Is it a boy? Is it a girl? And they will make a calculation based on the data that they had at the time of what the total amount of income tax that little baby would, would likely pay during the course of its working lifetime. And they would come up with a number. And that number and the birth certificate were then used as collateral to raise... Mm -hmm. You know, it was surety for the loan that they were about to issue as a bond. Yeah. Well, as a bond. Well, yeah, absolutely. On the you've bond heard market. This, on the bond yes, market. Yes, and you've heard the statement. You've heard the statement, there is no money, there's only credit. Yes, I have heard that statement. It's true. This is the credit spout. This is the origin of the credit spout. Yes. I mean, he. this is, you know, he was fighting that through different thing and interestingly and i've got this confirms really at least your position on this i don't know about all the details but he would say to me he said the only way that we are going to deal with this is in law and he was litigious to yep. a degree i'd never ever met anybody yep. like this before i'm sort of green yep. i don't think i don't want to go into a court i mean i did end up in one <laughs> for three days mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. but i uh, he was just at home with this arena knowing the game and what was being played mm -hmm. and he was involved in buying and selling government bonds one of only mm -hmm. 25 people in the world that were allowed to do this. Uh, right. the, um, and he explained this whole industry and how he got into it. And it's an industry you won't see advertised ever because no. these people are specially appointed individuals who have an, a yep. blemish-free track record, yep. which he did. Uh -huh. I'd never met uh -huh. anybody quite like this in terms of his, the precision of his thinking. They, it, was, it was astonishing to me, yeah. I was astonished by him and disconcerted in equal measure, yeah. They're called primary bond dealers, and uh, they are contracted in our country with the Federal Reserve. You remember uh, when 9-11, Cantor Fitzgerald, one of the top uh, yep. uh, couple of floors, that mm -hmm. was a primary bond dealer, okay? Mm -hmm. And they have a contract with the Federal Reserve, and their problem is they contract to buy the bonds whether they can sell them or not. 
<laughs> well, it's not so much a problem. It's obviously by design. You're, you're right to express it Well, it, it hasn't been until recently. <laughs> it hasn't until recently. No. It's a big problem for them now because mm-hmm. nobody wants U.S. bonds and all the countries in the world are dumping them. So now the Federal Reserve is having to buy them all or the market goes upside down. That's what's causing the backlog in the banking system. They mm-hmm. took those low interest-wearing bonds and shoved them in all the banks. That's what happened to Silicon Valley Bank. 55% of their assets were 1% yielding bonds. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what he showed me, and I was kind of aware of this from certain material that he'd given me anyway, is that there is a pre-market in the selling and the exchange of bonds that there's mm-hmm. no one knows about. Hardly anybody knows mm-hmm. about this. These guys mm-hmm. that are appointed, because he had an apprentice called Stephen. I won't give his surname, but he was called Stephen, and he may still be alive. I've not spoken to him in probably in, since all this trouble happened, so it's probably 20 years now. He might still be kicking around. In fact, I'm thinking about it. I might be able to contact him if he still is. He got trained in, in this stuff by this man and was flying all over Europe to go into certain meetings for the buying and selling of bonds. And he was describing some of the bizarre behaviour that took place in these meetings. For example, there was one that he went to where they were not allowed to look at one another. I can't tell you for what, but they weren't. They were in the same room, and, and there were witnesses there. And he was facing the wall, and the other guy was talking to, had his back to him, and he was facing the other wall. And they were talking out loud, as if... <laughs> It's absolutely surreal, wow. this stuff. Absolutely surreal. To to negotiate or to come up with an agreement on this piece of paper. And mm-hmm. the the whole key to it, as I could understand it, and this is maybe where it comes to companies like Cantor Fitzgerald and places like that, mm-hmm. is that there is a thing on this called an exit price, which is already pre-agreed and known. So, for example, you know, the major institutional uh, invest like pensions companies and insurance companies who were sitting on supposedly piles of cash or at least money, right? Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. the people that would be buying those and they would be buying them in sufficient quantity. They got a discount. I don't know what yeah. the discount is on the paper, but it's single digits or something and they get an annual mm-hmm. yield and all of their planning is based around this and it's a solid, supposedly a solid, rock solid investment because it's backed up by the property insurance. By the, the government. government. Blah, 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 exactly. bloody blah. Yeah. Exactly. And therefore that's where the income tax comes in because they need that. They go, great, we've taxed the whole nation as surety for this loan. So they would pay, they had the cash which the banks needed. They needed that liquid back in fast. So they say, yeah, yeah. We, we can issue one of these notes at, uh, say, ten, just keep the numbers simple, 10% off the face value. Go, great, we'll have that. And it's a 6% annual yield or whatever it was or whatever it is. These mm-hmm. things change, of course, all the time. What, unbeknownst to all of these people, is that there's a pre-market in that paper that takes place before it even arrives there at 10% discount. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that would last for maybe three to four months. And the reason is, is that the governments are so desperate for cash, they would take money now at a vastly reduced uh, at a much bigger discount so you could if you were invited to participate and everybody that was invited was massively vetted you couldn't just walk in and go oh i'd like to buy one of these things i bet you bloody would right so he took me through that he said they want they're they're restricting and controlling all of the individuals that get involved and when they are involved they weren't free to do with the profits what you think they would be able to do they had certain obligations but they were key part of it to keep the system spinning around so someone would buy say a billion dollar treasury note for 500 million and they would own Uh it for about 20 minutes 
about 20 minutes, and they would sell it 20 minutes later for 510 or whatever. Right. And this thing would bounce up the line because everybody bought it knowing <laughs> Knowing that someone had already agreed, an institutional investor, in a month's time to pay nine hundred million for it, it was, and exactly. that that couldn't not be paid. It was already the paper was already done. So they're going, what mm -hmm. you're going to give me? I can buy an asset for this, and I just can't help but make money. Correct? You just, and of course, the right. banks didn't mind because they were banking the residual mm -hmm. profits in the, well, uh, as it stepped up. And when he explained this to me, this would be ninety five, ninety six. Uh, I just got the whole. I thought. Everything that everybody is doing is complete horseshit. This thing yep. is overpowering everything. And he was of the same view. He was much more knowledgeable because he, he was actually mm -hmm. sitting down involved, doing right. this for major industrial companies. And he told me, he said, most of the major car companies, they don't make their money selling cars. They have people like me no. buying and selling paper with all the cash they've got from the sales. That's where they right. do it. And it's all, but yep. of course, it's back in the banking system. So that ultimately, the banking system starts to control the industries, which is why, you know, you've lost mm -hmm. all this sort of difference. We've talked about it in music, but it oh, goes yeah. all over the place. So, yeah, yeah it's an asphyxia. Well, he thought when I first when it first hit me, and he explained it, and I went through it, and of course well, he had a lot of documentation it, about this. Look at it like this, Paul. There's two major markets. You got the equities market, is represented by the stock market, mm -hmm. and you've got the debt market, which is the bond market. Well, mm -hmm. did you know that the bond market is five to ten times bigger than the stock market? Uh, I was pretty much aware of that. Yes. Yes, I know. It's so the, uh, the stock market has got all these big buildings and manufacturing and warehouses and trucks and all, all that stuff that represents that, right? Mm -hmm. What represents the debt market that's 10 times bigger? Mm -hmm. I don't know. You. Your <laughs> labor. I thought you were going to say a little bloke in an office in the back room of the Bank of England, which much your, more appeals to my... <laughs> your future labor extracted through the tax mechanism to pay the coupon on the bondholders. Yes. You see, that's the problem the Federal Reserve's got right now because of BRICS and all the other stuff that they've done around the world. All these countries are dumping these bonds. They can't let them sit out there. They've got to buy them. In fact, what they're doing is they're printing money in the background and giving it to Ireland Belgium, the Cayman Islands, and one other British protectorate, and they're bellying up and showing up at the Treasury bond market and buying all these bonds. Okay, mm -hmm. and so they got straw buyers. That's directly inflationary. Okay, and uh, but they have accumulated over fifty percent of the bonds in the world. That's why they're shoving them out to all these banks to try and get them out of their portfolio, because now the income tax is diminished in their in their collections. If they don't have the taxes that got to come in, they have to eat their own fraudulent paper. Yes, they do. Of course, historically, one of the uh, key solutions they've applied to a situation like this is to initiate wars to destroy infrastructure. Well, you mean like Russia? You yes. mean like Russia or the Gaza? Ooh, kind of? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. What, what oh, yes. I'd not really thought of that. Actually, of course, I completely thought of that. But I, yeah, that's that's what it is. I, I think I don't want. You see, I don't want. I don't need to know too much more about the mechanisms of the system. In the sense that if, if, if I thought there was a route through for me personally to affect it in that way, this chap that I worked with, he didn't see it like that. He, he, he had – it's the control of the process of law that he said was the problem because mm -hmm. when he was – I didn't know he was up to 
he was doing this. He, he was trying to get charges brought against him that were very heavy, and they wouldn't charge him with what he wanted. This is bizarre, right? Because I, I remember meeting him after he'd been to see a silk, which is higher than a barrister, right? <laughs> They're very high silks. And he'd been to see a silk because there were people around him who he had made very wealthy who were very concerned for him because of what was taking place. And he told this silk, said, I can defend you and do this and this will be fine. He said, I don't want you to do any of that. And they were appalled. They said, well, I can't be in the same room with you because I'm going to break my oath to defend you. He said, you know, this is ridiculous. You're actually you're putting yourself in harm's way. He said, that's exactly what I want to do. Because he was looking for them to charge him in such a way that he, he had a body of evidence that took it to a much deeper and heavier level. And, of course, it would have been one of these court cases that's in camera or you public can't see. What's the point of all mm -hmm. this? You know, we can never get access to the truth because vested interests, of course, have colossal power I, and, are, and are able to do that, you know. Um, well, I think what you said right there is more important than you know. And what he told you, that it was a by operation of law. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there's a difference between being legal and being lawful. Mm -hmm. Those are not the same, okay? And law is like common law, real law. Legal is man-made law, yes. basically. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's two types of crimes. There's there's a, a crime of mala in se and mala prohibita. Mala in se is a crime in itself with another injured party. Mala prohibita is man-made laws like administrative state regulations. Right. Okay. okay. And when you put forth the common law birth certificate of John Smith's, you're taking your decision as to which laws you want to live under, and you're giving them a lawful solution that breaks the presumption of their legal fraud. I think that's what's happening. Yes. Okay? No, I think you must be close with that thing. I mean, I've, I think about um, what we have to do in the world as well, just outside of this specific topic. It's very important, obviously. It's a key part of it in terms of, obviously, anybody looking around with what's happening in your neck of the woods across Europe, sees that our nations are being destroyed from within with people who purport to be our leaders in our government, but are not. Yeah. They're working, obviously, for another agency, mm -hmm. or they're controlled by one. They have no decision in mm -hmm. it. We have to be demoralized by them basically parachuting people mm -hmm. into leadership positions across Great Britain, what's left right. of it, right. you know, who are clearly not of our stock. They're clearly not us. They're clearly sort of, you know, financial advisors who were taking their instructions from further up the tree. So the idea of being able to get away from that, to have them have no purchase upon you, is, in, is very important. And, for example, I want to develop uh, a media company over here, but I don't want to register it with their registering authorities i don't want it to have mm -hmm. a bank account by a company mm -hmm. i mean a company of men and women working as a team on things right and to look at all of this i mean there's a thing as well i don't know this is just a general question it's kind of maybe off to one side of what you're talking about are you familiar with and i'm not by the way i'm just i i know of the phrase but I, the full operations of it but with these things called private members associations i was i was going to bring that up yes mm -hmm. we know about them and and it is i don't know how if you've got that in england where you've got access to that but that's an answer to your question and if you could change your status and be a national behind that mm -hmm. they can't pierce it they can't pierce it I mean, I, I'm, I'm very much at the point now, this is just where I'm at with my work life, 
where I'm ready. I've got the appetite for something like this. It's been a long time coming. I mean, I don't know. For me, the last 10 or 15 years were really about a lot of research, a lot of reading, and trying to simplify that so I could talk to a man in the pub about things and not have him go to sleep. They're still very, very difficult, by the way, because there's yeah, such course. a big gap. There's just a colossal gap. Yeah. And, you know, you get angry at first, but yeah. when you stand back yeah. and look at it, you go, good grief. It's obvious why this guy yeah. thinks this, because for 35 years he's been watching TV. Why would he think anything else? He's bound to think that. Sure. So it's well, a massive challenge. You know, that, that's the bad news. The good news is you don't need to get everybody. All you need to get is 10, 15%. Remember, it was only 3% of the Americans that wanted to fight old King George to separate from you. you Most of the people you. in the country did not. <laughs> I know. They didn't want to go along. Mm -hmm. And see here, we don't need a whole bunch of people. We just need about 10, 10%, maybe less, maybe a little more. I think if we can ever get the message on a big platform, we're going to have a lot more than that. But yeah. you see, here's the deal. One once you remove yourself from the federal system, you can remove yourself from the tax system, and they can't say a thing about it. So now you're stopping the influx of money to pay the bondholders, which complicates their situation. And in our country, and this is what I started all this on, was something my teacher, my law teacher came up with. We There's a thing called revocation of election. And when you change status, you can apply to the IRS and get three years that you've just paid back. Well, that should be a motivator for a lot of people if they were aware of it. Of course, it's creating this awareness, isn't it? An under, yes. know, understanding of things. Listen, one, uh, we were talking about it. I didn't used to talk about it on the show because John and Glenn ended up in federal prison, not because of any of this, just to get them off the street. And But it's a stigma, okay? So I didn't really talk about it. I talk about what I really know and pioneered. And so, but one day it hit me because what happened was when we did that, we didn't know about the Secretary of State connection. So we were not sending our affidavits to the head guy and then going through revocation of election. So the IRS honored the first couple, but when they figured out what was going on, they started giving us all $500 frivolous filing penalties. Those are $5,000 penalties now. And so one day on the air, we were talking about it, and it hit me. I said, well, hold it. We got the key to the mansion because now we know to do it with the Secretary of State. They can't refuse it. And now you come back to the IRS, and they can't not pay you because the IRS is rule is you can't sue the irs unless the tax has been paid well here the tax has already been paid it's mm -hmm. in the regulations if they don't pay you take them to federal court they don't want this whole thing coming out in federal court they'll no. pay you in a heartbeat okay and so it hit me well one of our guys very bright went off and did this without even telling me about it and he came on back on the show Paul, he got a six-figure amount of money back, a sizable sum of money. He paid a lot of taxes, okay? Mm-hmm. That's so fantastic. now we're doing that for people and offering that service, and we're going to do it for them. And uh, what we uh, ask is we get 15% of what they get back. It's found money for them. That's good, and that would keep you in cheeseburgers for quite a while, I would imagine, wouldn't it? Well, it will, and it'll help Paul. We'll get new equipment so we mm -hmm. can get all the modern stuff we need to do to run the network and all that. Yeah. Fantastic. 
That's great. Um, I'm here with Roger Sales, uh, Paul English Live. We've got about 20 minutes to go. If anybody feels the urge to call in, you can always chat, of course. I'm looking at the chat comments and the Rumble chat. But if you get the urge, you want to call in, ask a question, probably, or make a comment, uh, you can do so by going to paulenglishlive.com forward slash call, and it will bring you into the studio where we're at. So don't be shy. Or no, maybe call in and be shy. That may be quite interesting. Um, yes. Yeah, that would be coy. Be you could good. be coy too. Oh yeah, shy and coy. coyer. <laughs> it, I mean, the, it's. I, I've really enjoyed this because at times I've got a little bit lost with what you've said, and this has happened to me quite a few times. It's simply to do with terms, phrases. You know, trying to understand the thing. But mm-hmm. the the gist of the birth, birth certificates, I'm very clear on, and finding a process to get out of it. Um. <sighs> I, I'm going to work on the basis that John Smith has one. But yeah, but this whole thing, like, I would like a common law company. Why can't I have one? Like, why well, can't you I can't have, have one? Once you, well, you can't have one because you're their property and you don't have access to the common law. You go through this change, you got access to it again, and you right. can have it. Okay, so there's a formal process. What we're saying here, I've got to tr- stress test this and see it. There's a formal process I can enter into that will take me out of the voluntary servitude that I've been deceived into as, you know, having yes. that condition and put me back in the conscious uh, status of operating under God's I, law, under common law, outside of oh, their system. Yes. One of my students sent me a, a JPEG of a, a, a document from England, and there were six different political statuses at the bottom. Yes, and there are. I've seen that document. An you English mentioned it to me. National. Yes. Yep. yep. It's English National, and I guarantee you that's the one you want. Okay. Now, I think my just reading between the lines and how they duplicate things, I think what you'd want to do is take that common law birth certificate and apply for some sort of a passport. Whoever issues passports, because they are the determination of your political status, and if you don't change it, it it's presumed you're in the surf one. I think that's probably the person you're going to want to deal with, whoever is the equivalent of the Secretary of State in our country, the foreign okay. minister, whatever. I don't know. But that's just a supposition. But I think it's a good educated guess, okay? Yeah, no, that's good. That's really good. I mean, one of the listeners here, regular listeners, has been putting for you, Eric, Eric Von Essex. He, he runs a, a radio a uh, project called uh, Fockham Hall. You might have heard me talk about that. That's the English like sense it, of you. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And uh, I think he was he mentioned a few weeks ago that he had got into issuing his own passports, which I always think is a delightful thing to do. Mom, but uh, yeah. your point, your pointer is is really well taken. Also, another little comment here, which yeah. is off beam, but I'm going to mention it anyway because it's good. Did you ever play? Uh, do you ever play golf, Roger? Are you a golfer? You ever? I golf? have, and I I love the game. I don't don't have at least I didn't when I was younger have much of the temperament for it oh good i'm glad to hear that because i didn't have it too somewhere somewhere in east sussex there's a tree that's still got my jack nicholas driver 50 feet up it <laughs> i'm serious <laughs> i just, threw it right I just next- had enough with it the club went up into the tree <laughs> and it never came down they said are oh, you gonna it's go right. get it i said no it's useless what's the point <laughs> no, i don't need it i don't want it i don't want yeah, it don't you know you could be gone all day and come home and the wife goes how did you play I go, don't talk to me <laughs> i know it's not good but there's a little comment here from Warren. I just read this. It's nice. This it says Roger's voice is strikingly similar to Dave Marr. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with him, oh. the famous no, golfer who used to commentate Ooh. on TV at the U.S. Masters tournament. Okay. My favorite, the Masters. 
I was in Georgia for 30 years. I have attended the Masters. I went to a Saturday round. We yeah. got the Georgia Broadcasting Press Passes one Saturday. Right. And it was one of the most spectacular events of my life. Okay, I'm going to tell you, that beautiful spot, 20, yeah. 25,000 people, not one bit of trash anywhere on the ground. Never. It's marvelous. It is marvelous. It's like... Uh, the equivalent in tennis, of course, is Wimbledon with its precision. That right. is Correct. absolutely captivating on TV, the Masters, you know, because it's a break for a few days. I do watch sport. You know, people go, you should not want to watch sport, but it's all about degree. I think, you know, people get obsessed with it and push everything else out of their life. It's a worry. Uh, I'm not really like that. To me, it's like a, a little break and a sort of you get revived. And of course, it's not far off, is it? When is it? Is it April? That, that this occurs so it's we're April, not too far yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. No. so will you be going this year will you get on the jet and fly no, from I'm, a, no? I'm, in, I'm in Ecuador we don't have very many golf courses down here and I don't play so uh, yeah. but uh, I love to watch the Masters I really do I remember the first time when I was in the record business I had to fly into Augusta there's a very big radio station over there called WBBQ and mm-hmm. I had to fly in to see them and I didn't wasn't even conscious of the Masters and the airport's called Bush Field over there and I flew Flew in on a commercial jet, and as they're landing, there's like there's a hundred friggin' Lear jets all over the place, man. <laughs> Both sides of the runway, solid Lear jets and yeah. jet streams and all this stuff. It's amazing. It is, yeah, it's wonderful. It's just I think it doesn't. You don't even need to like golf. I don't think you do to see, whenever no. any event is screwed together so well. Anything. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's put together really well, you go, it makes you feel good. You go, look at that. Look at all that mm-hmm. competence, organizing that, mm-hmm. making it work like clockwork. It's extremely mm-hmm. pleasing. To that, a bit like it I was is. talking earlier on about this guy making watches. Um, amazing stuff, you know. So we, yeah. uh, I'm very interested. Why you go? Why are you all excited about that? I go because it's so well done. Look at the I, standards. I love to watch it. It's just so beautiful. You can't watch it and not appreciate the beauty of that course. No, I mean, Bobby Jones laid a masterpiece course in there. Okay. Now, do you know that when they're playing on it in the spring, it's rye grass that grew over the winter, and during the whole summer, it's all browned out. Did you Is know it that? Really? No. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. No, it's, yeah, uh, right obviously that's button. the reason. That's the reason why they play at that time of the year for it. So it's so it's yes. just absolutely perfect, you know. And all those right. flowers. Here I am, a grown man, going on uh, about flowers, but it adds to it. It yeah. puts it puts it's, this sort of magical atmosphere into the whole space, yeah. and it's wonderful. It's uh, it's very yeah. stunning. It now, is. as we get off into sport, we got about ten minutes left, that's and right. and I've put an assignment on the back burner for a private consult. I had twenty minutes ago, so <laughs> I hope she's not aggravated. But I wanted to stay here with you guys and cover as much of this as we could because I've been chomping at the bit to get at your audience and lay this out in front of them. This is so important. This is everything. Everything they're doing is here. This is the axis of the Rothschild-Rockefeller power route. The fact that they've got you in a property right, now they can create a whole money supply, and now they can put a whole institute of agencies to make man-made laws to govern you. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't do either one if they didn't have a property right in you. That's why this is important to them. It's the crux of everything. Mm-hmm. So the the complication of it, which does exist, we've you see, you're very familiar with this. We've covered in an hour and fifty minutes or just under a lot of material. Probably, I guess, from your perspective, in a surface level way, which is fine because first time through this. 
it's challenging in terms of the the way the different components work together but i'm keen for simplicity at this stage purely for my own sanity you know what i mean so that i can get a handle mm-hmm. on the whole thing sure and we've we've mentioned this over and over so i'm not going to repeat it again just now i might do before the show so but the, that we're saying basically there is a path to take yourself out of their system they are very interested in you not taking that path they're very very and, interested in it because their entire and, system is built on your voluntary servitude because they're basically leeching everything of their control system out of your status. And you see, they can't say no because what set of laws you live under is your choice, not theirs. If they say no, they're open tyrants, and they know what happens to open tyrants. You're putting them in checkmate here. There's no way out for them but to recognize it. Of course. I, I mean, I agree with you here in this conversation that that's the case. I can see the logic of that. In the real world, my observation is that they have the same such way. a... Yeah, but what I was going to say is they have such a control over the process. For example, we've just had a, an example with this um, Trump thing. I saw his lawyer, this woman, uh, the other day at the mm-hmm. microphone. I'm not fully familiar with what's going on, but basically... I mean, to use the term a travesty of justice is almost sort of ridiculous in a way. But but the way she was describing the process, that she couldn't even defend him because all of no. her... You go, well, my mind goes, then that wasn't a court of law. No trial it actually wasn't. took place, no. right? So it's no, it all null and void. And it's fi- the yep. language is available to us, but it's not being mustered because I think, to a great degree, uh, and this is the part of the breaking out of it, I've, I've got part of it as well. We are basically, we're trained, literally like a train going down the tracks, to work within that system, even when we think we're actually going against it. So, But the actual truth is that a court case didn't take place because no, they couldn't no. defend them. There was that situation no. in Germany several years ago. I mean, we I, we might have touched on this the other week when I had Dennis on. There was a, a defence lawyer, I've forgotten who she was defending now, um, but he oh, was being yeah, prosecuted right. by the German uh, government because of his comments about World War II etc etc in particular areas sylvia stoltz she was convicted and sentenced i think for two years for defending him too vigorously what is correct so you go okay this is not a law court this is nothing Uh, this is a tyranny they are open it's legal yeah Uh it's where we go then where this is where we go then and we've got situations building up in our country in america they have the arrival of huge numbers of people that we know should not be here who are not being brought here even necessarily for their benefit but to actually reduce this entire process down to nothing and create more confusion well the reason they could charge her with something like that is because she's one of these serfs and they can do that if she's operating under law they can't so basically, they're saying, you're our property. You might not know that, but you're Correct. our property, and we're going to do with you what we right. like. So because you're our property, we say that you're defending too vigorously, right. so we're going to lock you up. Right. You you yep. broken piece of our property. You're a piece of our property yep. that's malfunctioned. Yep. So we're going to correct yep. your malfunctioning by putting you away for two years. That makes sense. I can that's see right. that. Exactly correct. And I guess the guy no, that said see what- that or delivered that upon her would be aware of this, and therefore they stand in a kind uh-huh. of authoritative way and communicate in that way right. because they're going, no, right. right at the base of all this, you're a voluntary you're in voluntary servitude. You're, we own you're you. servitude. We got a, we all own right. you, and we can do anything you want with you because we have a property right in you, and somewhere along the line, you agreed to it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Got that. That's really useful. I had a big sort of penny drop with that. 
that's very useful mm -hmm. because when it's to see if you go back into yeah. the lawful illegal part of this and what you see it's that resident word citizen of the united States and resident at the end of the 14th amendment if you're this and this you're this you're a citizen of the united states and a state wherein you reside well if you go to all of the administrative state 600 plus agencies and go look in their little handbook called the code of federal regulations for there's 49 of them 49 of them the jurisdictional statement is residents because they can throw the broad net and not only get citizens but legal residents green card holders but only in one title do they have both and that's title 26 income tax and there they call the national a non-resident alien we got some callers. We got some callers, Roger. Um, well, I we don't have much time. You better get I know, on. I know. Don't worry. They speak very quickly or very slowly. Okay. okay. Sussex man, welcome to the show. Oh, good evening, uh, Paul and uh, Roger. Um, evening. Very interesting about uh, change of status. I don't know if you know, <laughs> you know but it's already being done in this uh, country. There's an organisation called... Uh, English Counties United, and evidently it's organised by uh, Anna von Reitzinger. I presume mm -hmm. you've heard of her, have you? I have. I have. Um, my, my, comment, my comment is that Anna doesn't know what she's fighting. She doesn't understand it's the feudal system, and she's got a very similar thing in our country called the Assemblies, and I really don't agree with her approach and a lot of things she does, so just so you know. Yes, well, I, I've queried a few things, and also um, where they're appointing people, they're not uh, ethnic Britons, which in my view, they should be our own people taking charge. Um, but basically, other people have done it independently of her, and it's all to do with the birth certificate. Mm -hmm. um, well, you see, what we've got that she doesn't understand because she doesn't understand the feudal system and what's going on with this. They think the birth certificate creates the condition. The birth certificate does not create the condition. It represents the condition that the nurse at the hospital told that mom that baby's our property. The baby didn't have a birth certificate yet. And the nurse, not the administrator, not the doctor, the nurse knew that the baby was property already right but I think the way they do it here because they're in this there's two certificate there's a certificate of being born and then there's the birth certificate when you were registered mm -hmm. on the birth certificate it's only got your Christian names first names as you call them but then the state adds the surname which, as you know, stands for surety name, um, and that is a corporation, and uh, then that's added to the other certificate. No. Okay. Whereas if you are free from the state, uh, you only have your two Christian names on it, and it's basically removing that, and then you're mm. not part of the the system. Oh. Oh, you know, um, this is you talk. You get to talk about complexities. Now we're talking complexities, okay? Yeah. And I would disagree with you that it's a corporation. You're a serf. 
You're either free or you're a slave. There's only two statuses. It's not a corporation. You don't have bylaws and everything else. That's my opinion, okay? Yeah. And I wish we had time, Paul. One of my students in Austin, Texas, went to the hospital where he had two daughters born and got the whole process on how the birth certificate is set up and issued, and I just don't have time to give it to you today. I'm but it slightly, totally proves I am my, familiar with it, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm semi-familiar okay, well, with it, that. I've forgotten his name now. He was um, very strong. Uh, Brian voice Howard. Brian. Brian Howard. Yes, I remember and that. When, I'll tell you this. When they finally get the information to the Bureau of Vital Statistics, they print the birth certificate, and they put it in a bank safe with armed guards 24 hours, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because it represents you as a warehouse receipt. The paper represents you and that future value. They're, they're collateralizing. We're coming to the end of the show, um, although there is a post-show after show. So we're going to be leaving WBN324 in about a minute and a half, something like that. Um, but we'll carry on on Rumble. Roger, you're welcome to stay. I know you might have other commitments. I but can't. I've got this consult. Don't okay. worry. We've, and uh, we'll carry on for a little while after this show. Um, but uh, that's that's kind of where we're at today. Roger, I want to thank you very much for coming along. Uh, it's been brilliant. It's my we'll pleasure, back, Paul. We'll have to have you back again and go through this a little bit well, more, which would be great. You, you, know? just, you just offer and I'll be here, okay? No, that'll be fantastic. I... Uh, uh, Sussex man, thanks for calling in. NY Paul's on standby. I think that's our usual suspect, uh -oh. is it not? Uh -oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, he can uh, he can fill in if y'all get into can. this. Paul understands this enough. He can fill in some of the answers on it. So I know he can absolutely. No, that's that's great. And uh, thanks everybody for being here for this uh, first two hours of the show. I suppose I ought to say because we've got into this habit of having a a post show show that runs on on Rumble. So if you want to carry on listening, head over to paulenglishlive.com and click on the rumble tag and you'll still be able to hear us going on for a little while longer i would imagine on this topic everybody's welcome to call in uh, but roger thanks for this week and uh, look forward to seeing you on here again very very soon paul you're one of my favorite people and i cherish the invite and i'll look forward to the next one i like you even more now this is fantastic you're definitely coming back brilliant well done <laughs> <laughs> And we are clear. Uh, we're clear from uh, from the radio stations. They've kicked us off. They've sent us out back to Rumble. So um, <laughs> if you're still with us on Rumble, yeah, marvellous. And uh, probably still on Global Voice Network or something like that, courtesy of Paul. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was Roger there. Uh, I've known him for quite a while. That was a very chunky, very information-heavy show. So if you're a bit bewildered out there with it all, uh, you're not alone, but I think uh, I think we got to the gist of this whole thing, that there's a process available for us to change our status, and uh, possibly in one fell swoop, we remove their ability to manipulate us in practically all the other areas of our life that they're, that they're doing. Anyway, Paul, Paul B., welcome to the show. Hi, welcome. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and that is, you know, informational shows like this is why God made archives. 
<laughs> I, guess, I guess so. Yeah, you'll be able to. Yeah, if so, anybody that missed it will obviously be able to get the rest of the show on the podcast and stuff like that. So that's obviously coming up. Um, but Sussex, man, some of your points there. You'd mentioned to me, of course, about this counties thing or whatever. Uh, and I've seen a few question marks against that as well. But there must be. I mean, there's another chap as well. Who's that other guy that's going around talking about common law a lot? Do you know You know of him, uh, Sussex, man, I think? Yeah, I can't think of his name. No, uh, but I, well, I know him. There's Edelman. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, who's the other one? Um, hmm. Gone out of my mind. Yeah, so, don't worry. yeah there are but, quite... Uh, there's a few that have the, kicked... Yeah, they've kicked up, haven't they, over the last sort of couple of years doing with these things. So I, I personally have to really start putting some time aside to actually get stuck into this because, um, as I was saying, the idea of a company that's structured under common law i don't want to be in you know why can't we do things entirely out of their system and this seems to me that anybody that would be in a company like that must have gone through this process to remove themselves from the whatever the term is over here i'm happy with voluntary servitude i can see that that makes a lot of sense logically about how we've got to this point then everybody that that would work in it or be associated with it must go through that process so that gives that's something for you all to do in your holiday break, everyone who's still listening. That's what we've yes. got to do. We've got to get well, we've got to get out of their system, you know, and then begin to re- restore our nation properly. Well, I we have do a few have private companies about John Smith. Um, you know, he uh, we were trying to get out of registering thing, yet he wants you to register your birth, common law birth certificate. With him, so in effect, he comes owner of your property, uh, owner of you. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the old days, it was only recorded, and uh, it was recorded in the local church. So, so, so do we need to restore a system of recording and come up with yeah. the, what we mean by that? You know, what does this record or this recording look like? It's a handwritten note or it's signed in wet ink, that kind of stuff. We're going to have to get that precise because that's obviously the levels of precision that they, they've applied to us to create all this tortuous complexity, whereas we just want to crack on and get living our lives. But well, if there's a way of I, doing that, then that's what we need to... Are there any churches left, though, Chris? This is the big question. Yeah. Are there any? <laughs> well, I trace right. my ancestors. Surprisingly, uh, the uh, churchyard in Callum, in uh, Sparkshire, uh, on, on the borders of Oxfordshire, is full of peats and reeds. And uh, I saw the entries... Yes. And uh, they're all written in hand, you know, so-and-so, and that's all. Right. You know who the father was, and I think, well, the father's status, you know, I think mine was yeoman farmer or something like Ooh, that. Oh, nice. I like that. That's good. <laughs> uh, yeah. But when I went again to the second time to take my, my relatives to see it, uh, we asked to see the birth register. Oh, it's all been taken away. It's all gone to the Bodium Library, so they've disappeared. Right. Um, and the so, other I thing mean, if we had these records, if these records existed in churches doing this thing, um, would it be a case that if you wanted to know things about people, you would have to just go there, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you have to do that? Yes. Well, you have to go no, down to that I, church. You have to get in your car on the back of your horse and go and actually see it, that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, uh, with modern technology, it would be no problem having a online record, you know, so you could look it up. 
Yeah. You know, they could digitise it as well, but I think you need a hand um, copy. Because I put a post up on the, one of the blogs about how they want to destroy our history. They were all the um, ancient records of uh, births. Uh, they're going to digitise them all unless they're important people. Right. And that's England and Wales, and of course a lot of our history is in Welsh anyway. So it's another way of take, taking away our history. Yeah, is this that story recently where they're going to try and start destroying lots of records pre-1860 yeah. or something like that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we lose our roots, you know. Well, that's the surest way to destroy a people. <laughs> So they say, yes, absolutely. Uh, And the other problem, you know, with John Smith, uh, I think a lot of, well, I hear a lot of his cases go through, but in the end of the day, they can stop it because you can only claim common law if you can prove you're a free man living on land. Well, we can't because Mm -hmm. most of us even if we own our property, it's registered with the land registry, so we don't actually own it, and technically, so we're not living on the land. We're in their fictitious ship, lost at sea. What do we do about that, then? What are we going to do about that? we have to try and get a bit of land somewhere, even if it's a postage stamp. So, uh, yeah, and then it's it's down to who owns that land, isn't it, I suppose? So isn't this when people sell you, they can sell you a square yard of some glen in in Scotland or something for 300 quid, and you go, now you can call yourself Lord Sonso of the Micro Glen and all this kind of stuff. Do we have to do something like that? What a a palaver. Isn't there a a bond or or an affidavit of solvency? Um, that you swear under oath that you physically have 21 pieces of silver. And it's lawful money. It's real money. There's there's no way that your entire wealth is tied up in debt currency. Oh, right. yes. Uh, I understand, you know, if you make out the trust in the official system... You have to use real money, you know, a gold sovereign from somewhere, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. right. as, as, as equity. Well, well, just a couple of things off the top of my head. You guys have been talking. I've just been sitting here with things swimming around in my brain. Right. First of all, your your explanation of the surname being the surety name yeah. is Brilliant. I never thought of that. I have no idea if it's true or not, but it makes complete sense with every fiber fiber of my being. So the root and is secondly, the same word. S-U-R for right. surname and S-U-R-E-T-Y for surety, yes? Yeah. And also, right. in Old English, uh, it's coming from name me. In other words, this is not my name. My real name is my Christian names. As I was was trying to tell Roger, I mean, I know he's right, there's probably more to it, but um, I know from what I've heard on our system, your surname is is owned by the state, 
And if you change your name, I know somebody who wanted to change their name, you can only change your surname. You're not allowed to change your Christian names. Because they don't hold your Christian name is permanent. Them. So surname means surety, not me. Yeah. Well, it's your fictitious <laughs> yes. self. Yeah. Yeah. Fiction. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Surety, nah, me. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, oh and, and another another clarification. Um, slaves register. Sovereigns record. Yes. Is that right? So I we, I'm going to need some notes here. We need a we I need this notebook. <laughs> I'm serious because actually each point in and of itself is relatively simple and straightforward, isn't it? But it's getting them all lined up in the right order mm-hmm. to see where it's taking you. You know, you've got these steps. I mean, it, I'm having a big clink, click around this tonight. That's the first time I've okay. spoken on and off with Roger for years about this kind of thing. But my it's not my cynicism about the content of what he's saying. My cynicism, if that's the right word, has always been about the way that they're able to overpower us through bullying, these sorts of things. How do you avoid that? But that said, that's a speculation on my part. And if it's possible to go through a process civilly, in a civilized way, and slowly but surely knock off these impediments that are stopping us, and we can find a way of doing that, then that's it. And maybe, Chris, there are individuals in England that have already done it. So if anybody knows yes, one um, and wants to send these details to me, I'd like to interview them. I'm serious. So if you, if, in Sussex. Is there? Yeah. Well, that's a job for you, Chris, tomorrow morning. Then yeah. you're going to have to rustle him up for me, and we're going to have to get hold yeah. of him because that would be very to go through the pragmatic steps that have been taken so that we can provide a sort of you know a ground base go this is what was done this is how you do it this is the end result now we need 10 million people to do it are you ready to rock and roll let's get on if if this is the way to do it we do um and yeah. um you know you know our mutual friend in the past peter gunn i do yes yeah I was, when i spoke to him it be about a year ago now i spoken to him for a long time he was telling me of some uh, friend of his in the group who'd worked it all out, how to do it, and he went up to the uh, Queen's bench, as it was then, it's King's bench now, and went in and um, he knew the word, you know, what to say, and he claimed, uh, you know, money from his QCEP account. Right. And they, well, they come to agreement, said, oh, Peter Gunn said he should have asked for the lot, but they said, we'll give you uh, 15 uh, million and 10,000 pounds a month. So when did this happen? So do I need to get Peter on? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, I better call him up. We better go through this. He's finding ways to really get the points across effectively. Maybe I'm just a pathetic weed. But I've I've also had a sort of physiological aversion to this because I just associate anything that they say with stuff I don't want in my life, which is probably asinine, really, looking on it. But if there is a way through, and it looks as though there clearly is, or there's certainly... It's certainly worth spending some time on it because it's a constructive thing to do as opposed to... And I'm just It's a shout-out to everybody that's tuned in and listening. We must not spend too much time dwelling on all the 
anxious, awful news, and we need to spend an awful lot more time on working towards things like this, or whatever it is that, you know, I'm probably sounding a bit bossing people around, I don't mean to, but I really do think that this is important, that we change the sort of, the feeling for what we're doing. We, we know that we're in a bad situation but i think dwelling on it and to the exclusion of doing constructive things is basically going to guarantee that those bad situations are going to happen whereas by taking constructive steps like this and it doesn't matter what it is you know people are growing their own food those sorts of activities which are back for the benefit of you and your own people your immediate family and friends and relations are really really good things to do they're excellent things to do they're the things that we need to be doing more of and i'm i'm really saying this to address myself actually and to get myself sorted out you know so yeah, and I think also Paul and, <clears throat> and Paul, um, you know, uh, if you look at the Bible, it's all been about judgment when people have been breaking the law, which we are doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of groups now, you know, working on the common law, and just by their own rules, uh, beating them. So I think we're studying the law more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you get God's blessing, so to speak, who will protect us in our yes. efforts, because yep. we're trying to get back to the law, whereas the uh, other people just accept whatever they say. It's, if it's the law, well, they agree it's the law. Yeah, and, and as Roger rightly said, um, the law's fixed; you can't alter it. Uh, you can make rules and regulation, re- regulations, what called statutes, provided they don't uh, contravene the basic law of the land. And that's yes. why it's called the common law. Until William the Conqueror came along with his, you know, retinue yeah. <laughs> of that tribe and uh, introduced uh, Shetter and Star Law. Yes, and uh, as a consequence of that, whereas before they couldn't take your house away from you, they could now if you if you were in debt. Yeah. So, and that's where that, that that's where that phrase "an Englishman's home is his castle" originated in the previous situation where it was inviolable, because I, yeah. I understood that if you were married and had children, but you turned out to be a robber or you did something wrong, then if they took that your house off of you to pay some perceived damages or whatever, it would turf your wife and children out into the street, which would, of course, begin the process of breeding an underclass of desperate vagabonds, which they didn't want. So they didn't do that because they were sensible. But once they changed that with the Chetal laws, they they said, all right, we'll we'll seize your house in lieu of payment for this, that, and the other. And that, of course, (laughs) takes out the foundation of any person's life and no doubt amplified crime. It would have done. It would have done the exact opposite. But of course, I think that they would have wanted that because then they can create other forces to regulate crime and get paid for it. This is part of the process, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and it's of course, a, another it, fact. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say another factor was the Reformation, where they it was the guys to steal people's lands, and you know on the guise of uh, religious grounds, you know. Yes. And they all enriched themselves, so that's when we got our un- poor underclass of following that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the devastation, as it, as it were, as Cobbett so rightly calls it, not the Reformation, but the devastation, which is what it yeah. was. Absolutely. 
I mean, I was up in, north, in as I said earlier, and I just I passed some big abbeys, which were all. I, I saw one on a documentary where it was absolutely gutted under Henry at that time, and it's still standing. Most of it is five hundred years old, you know, and it's still there. I drove past it the other day on Monday. It was quite an amazing thing. Sorry, Paul. Well, I was talking over you. I don't. I don't mean to beat a dead horse here, but um, <clears throat> I have to go back to uh, registering versus recording. Now, when you are standing in your own power and you're standing on your own land, you record your property. You're claiming your property and you are claiming the right to protect it. When you register an automobile, you are asking for the government to protect it for you, to prove that you own it to continue to provide roads that are safe to operate it on. But in doing so, you transfer ownership over to the government. They say, oh yeah, okay, we'll protect your beneficial ownership, but we're going to have title in a lodium mm. on it. Yeah. So we won't take it from you, but... Yeah will guarantee that you'll continue to be able to use it. And it's the same thing with the home. You register a deed for a property or a piece of real estate, and an estate means not true ownership. What you're doing is you're saying, please protect my home. The local police, they patrol the neighborhoods, the areas. The fire department is dispatched if you have a fire. Mm -hmm. If you have a problem with a neighbor who's encroaching on your homeowner rights or privileges, whatever, uh, you can call the codes officer or you can call the police and you have somebody to act in your stead to protect your rights. Yes. Whereas if you record the ownership of the property and you hold title in a lodium to property, you are also claiming the right to protect it even to mm. death. And therein lies the difference. Slaves pass the buck to the government to take care of them in a nanny state fashion where sovereign original people they claim that right for themselves yes so yeah no well, well, we've been we've been trained your, to be slaves but sorry chris you have to have your when you buy your property uh you know you need to make you have to buy it as a lloyd or it's difficult getting it a lloyd or because one person's buying a registered property from another Mm -hmm. I mean, a good, there's a good example of that, Paul, near, near you. You yeah. know where that road, uh, the A27, comes up to Arundel? Yes. The double, the dual carriageway comes to abrupt end. It does, <coughs> yeah. Well, uh, they'd already planned it to go through, uh, but the Duke of Norfolk, who, who resides in... Arundel Castle said, no, you can't, I own the land outright, and they couldn't even compulsory purchase it, and that's why it right. came to a Wow, stop. I've driven on that exactly. a lot. By the way, Paul, if you don't know what Arundel Castle is, look it up, it's beautiful, it's an amazing castle, <laughs> not far from where I live, A-R-U-N-D-E-L, <laughs> okay. Arundel Castle, 
and it's owned by the Duke of Norfolk. Don't ask me why. Actually, there's some dodgy dealings in the history of that. That's why. Yeah. That's why Norfolk got yeah. it, isn't it, Chris? There is something dodgy yeah. down the line there. And uh, you know, what's the guy in Norfolk doing owning a thing in West Sussex? I don't know. What's yeah. that all about? Well, you dig it up. But the castle's <laughs> magnificent. It's uh, it's all in work, fully working order with uh, men with pipe. No, it hasn't got it hasn't got battle. Wow. Actually, it does, but it's it's in tremendous condition. It's fantastic. So, I've uh, heard uh, hearsay uh, reports that people in the U.S. have purchased property. They've purchased registered property, and they purchased it for twenty dollars in lawful money. Mm-hmm. Plus other valuable consideration. Now the seller notifies the tax authority that they're no they sold it. They're they're no longer the owner of it. And the purchaser never registers the property with the tax official. So the property falls off the tax rolls. But unfortunately, it also falls off the Rolodex and address book of the police and off the address book of the fire department. So right. if anything happens, you'd yeah. better be ready to take care of it yourself. That's yeah. interesting. Mm, I don't is. think we have a system like that in no, the UK. Probably not. Um, if you don't take it, you know, if you register a property, it never comes off uh, unless... You know, somebody buys it and then they, you know, they need the deed in order to purchase it. So they get, they don't get the original deed, they get a certified copy. Um, but I haven't heard of it falling off in, in, in England, but that's a good system you've got there in America. Yeah, it sounds good. Now, like I said, it's a hearsay account. I have not seen proof of it, but that's what I heard. Uh, gents, I, I need to go do a task, and I think maybe we, this has been quite an intense sort of show anyway with a lot of a lot of stuff, and I really want to follow up the theme, but I think it might be time to just, uh, if you're okay with it, we'll just call a, a close to the post-show yeah. because we're, uh, there's just us three here, which is fantastic, and it's not that I'm not enjoying it, but I have this little task that I, I must do now. I've, I've delayed it for about 10 or 15 minutes because I've been so interested in what we've done. But I'd just like to say, everybody that's tuned in tonight, thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back, of course, next Thursday. Um, and just by way of just my summary for this is I think I've had the penny drop here. I've got the simple idea at the heart of it. I can see why there's so many complex things to brush out of the way or to deal with and to get to grips with. And really, I guess, Chris, because I'll be seeing you in real life at some point soon, this this is definitely something that I want to talk to you about a bit more, certainly possibly with getting Peter Gunn on or somebody who can articulate these things from a UK perspective would be very useful. Uh, because we can always bring Roger and, of course, Paul here. You, I know you know a lot about this as well. So I think this is a good reference point because if, if as it appears, it's going to be a key part of putting them back on their haunches and us leaving them, which is really what we're talking about, and leaving their system come out of her, as we are told. This looks to be a major part of the process of coming out of her in actuality, not as a, as a daydream, but as a real measurable, tangible thing. And um, apart from which, I, I just think working on something like this that is constructive is very healthy for us, as opposed to trying to beat off negatives, is to actually build a positive, which in this case, of course, gets right. rid of so many of the negatives that are bearing down upon us. Well, I have a suggestion. Mm -hmm. I not, don't do it 
with the two-hour time limit of the Thursday show. Let's schedule a show on Sunday with PaulEnglishLive.com with Global Voice Radio with the whole of the resources of the Radio Ranch and its conference room, mm-hmm. your uh, backroom studio. We'll get Roger on and we'll get... Uh, I'll be there for sure. And we'll just start the streams and just let it go until we hash something out. It may take two to three hours. And you were kind of wanting to do Slapdash Radio for a few <laughs> hours on Sunday. Why well, not? I know you do. I am, actually. I'm, I'm very close to doing that. I think that would be a good idea, almost like a special on this thing. And we need, to like, we need right. plenty of music because it does require a break every 20 or 30 minutes these are sort of they're new concepts in many ways and it might well be worth using video not in terms of webcams we don't want anything quite so frightening as that but in terms of illustrating points i probably need to prep some notes and things so that when we're talking about these ideas uh people have got something to read on rumble you know when it's going through just a key to clue to clue and cue everybody in as to where we're at because it is a labyrinthine sort of conversation. It spreads into so many things, and staying focused and on track would be would make for better use of everybody's time. But I, I am, uh, I am energized by this um, because I can see, I can see that it's valid. It brings into be- I mean, all the history that we're aware of. You can see this unifying thread through a lot of it, which is that it's all been the machinations to bring about. <laughs> by hook or by crook and by whatever wordage possible to put us back into this condition of, of feudalism and of enslavement, basically. Whether we volunteer for it or not, they're prepared to do anything for that. So, um, right. yeah, no, I think it's a good well, idea, Paul. We <clears throat> should do that. We should definitely do something like that. What, yeah. I, what I'm imagining... What I'm imagining is to have the the full faith and function of the Global Voice Radio Network, um, Paul English Live, um, all the Radio Ranch in the conference room. We've got room for a thousand people to call in and take mm-hmm. an active part of the show. We're not limited to the to the mm-hmm. studio back end, and we have uh, your Rumble channel, which uh, we'll can run until you pull the plug yeah i have a rumble channel i also have odyssey and i can also bring to bear uh home network.tv freedom nation.tv go live tv and streamlife.tube there's literally over a million unique listeners per month on the latter two of those platforms so we can get this message out while we're hashing out something and i think if we all come together it's going to be the going to be a bad day for the globalists well, actually I, I like it. it's like a trans, it, it's, a, it's like a transatlantic um i like the word transatlantic at the moment. i don't like the word trans of course because we associate but transatlantic is an old one transatlantic travel and this is a transatlantic yeah. connection in many ways and i think it could be very useful there's a sort of different energy in the sense that if we can if i can muster up some more knowledge here on the uk chris has got considerable amounts of, of information and i'm always thankful chris when you call in and make these contributions they're excellent and uh, we've got others. He's mentioned Peter Gunn. There are a few others. I'm going to scout around and maybe have a chat with these people yeah. so that we could move the voices around it and make it more interesting for the listeners and for us as well as oh, hosts. Sure. Yeah, to get these different perspectives on things. So it would be worth taking right. a little and while to set it up and get it, get it, you know, polished a bit. That would be good. Yeah, a couple of, couple of weeks, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple that of weeks be done. or a month. Cool. Um, but instead of the slapdash radio hour, we'll have to call it the slap the stuffing out of the globalists hour. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Just what did what was what was Roger for Yeah. What did Roger call himself as a radio jock? Smacky lips. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I can fit that I guess. in. But listen, on that silly note, I am going to wind up now. Um, I think we've got to wind up. We're just coming up to 10.30 here. It's obviously 5.30 US Eastern. Paul, thanks for tuning up. Chris, as always, wonderful having you here and your contributions. Excellent. Um, And for all the listeners and your comments throughout the show, of course, much appreciation and kudos. Always appreciate it. We've had a good, lively, large-scale audience again on YouTube. We're getting above 60 and 70 listeners at certain points in the stream. So this thing's steadily and slowly and incrementally growing, which is all good. Very encouraging for us here at this end thanks very much for everybody's contributions as i said before i'll be back next thursday with something uh hopefully a cocked up start because it wouldn't be right if i don't cock it up at the beginning and um i look forward to <laughs> i look forward to having you join us again next week so uh, god bless everyone have a good week keep well uh if you want to stay in contact during the week there's the telegram group you can find a link to that on paulenglishlive.com that's growing quite nicely there's over 60 maybe 70 people or something in there right now so there's a whole series of chats taking place slightly different tone at times quite lively stuff but there you go it's a free speech world well in parts and that's one of the little parts of it so um yeah that's it for today paul thank you very much chris thank you very much listeners thank thank you very much Yeah, brilliant. No, that's great. And we'll be back again next week. So I'll just sign off. No music or anything. We're just going to end the stream now. Thanks, everybody. And as I said, I'll see you next week. Bye for now.